0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
2: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
1: BYU Radio.
3: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. Happy Thursday to you. Yes, you did it again. You've made it to Thursday, which means
4: tomorrow's Friday. I already start checking out, like, Wednesday. Oh, not, yeah. Not checking out, but looking ahead to the weekend.
3: Well, no, checking out's a good uh, way to uh, put it. Okay. But um, we, I think we all always, you know, look to the weekend. I yeah. have a great weekend, but I'm going to Fresno, California.
4: That's right. I'm always <sighs> also looking to the next meal, too. Yeah. Like, I'm thinking several meals ahead.
3: Is that how you work?
4: Yeah, like some days I'll be like, ooh, two days from now, I'm going to be having pizza.
3: Do you really? Yeah. I never think about the next meal. Really? Ever.
4: I wonder if I'm, maybe in another life I was like a scavenger, you know? you
3: probably were. You were like, or like a rat. (laughs) (laughs) What was that, what was uh, uh, Charlotte's Web, what was the name of the rat? Templeton. Templeton. You're like Templeton, always planning ahead to the next, (laughs) the next. Nacho binge. Uh, yeah, I don't think, I don't think food by, day by day. I just, which is probably why I gain weight because I don't think about it. I just grab that. But you do think Fresno several days ahead of time. I do think Fresno, well, I'm leaving tonight. Whoa. On a jet plane. Don't know if I'll be back again.
4: Well, you'll be back Monday. Yeah,
3: for sure I'll be back Monday. A uh, lot, to, not a lot going on. Some things uh, going on with President Trump, I really don't care to get into,
5: <laughs> but there is a storm in D.C. Quite, elements are funny, so we'll just leave it at that. Yeah,
3: we'll leave it. We'll we'll leave it at that. Um,
5: uh, See, my question is: At what point does it rise to the level that we can actually talk about it? you're talking figuratively or literally? No, there's a problem. We can't talk about it. But at what Hmm. point can
3: we, Matt? Well, I I think the point would be when it's, I guess, substantiated.
6: uh, Are we
5: looking at like Senate level hearings? Are we? uh, (laughs) We don't want hearings. They'll happen. Yeah. Well, there's
3: allegations against President Trump. We can't get into it. From don't, a no, past relationship. Don't get
5: into it. We can't get into it. I wouldn't call it relationship. If people care, they know. I'm just saying yeah. we operate under certain guidelines here. At some point, this may raise to a very important level for our country. Not really. Not really? I mean, it, okay.
3: I mean, I think a bigger issue would be the Russia, the Russia collusion scandal. Okay. Which, um, according to, uh, I don't know if it's the Senate or Congress... Somebody says that Lewandowski is going to be one of their last witnesses,
5: so they'll be wrapping up.
3: Any collusion? Well, they will. Yeah, is that the senator or is that the— I
5: thought I heard the House Intelligence Committee was going to talk to him.
3: So once that's done, they think it might—
5: That should be tomorrow, I
3: think. But, I mean, that's that's not Mueller's investigation. That seems to be actually, in a weird way, deepening and broadening. Yes. They seem to be— On to even people that nobody knew were even players in this.
5: Well, Mueller did. (laughs) Yeah, I I have quotes from members of the uh, the House that are supposed to be doing the same investigation. And like, who's that? Who's that guy? Who's that guy? Wait, hold on. What's that about? What's that? Who's
3: that? So uh, anyway, lot lots. I mean, a lot of little things going on. Nothing enormous yet. Yet. So, let's just do this. Let's get to the headlines, see what Terry can squeeze out of the turnip. (laughs) What you got going on for us, Terry? So,
5: uh, President Trump reportedly spoke with witnesses who have testified before special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation about the probe, which they're not supposed to do. According to the New York Times, Mueller's team is aware of the interactions that the president had with White House counsel Don McGahn and former chief of staff Reince Priebus. Um, This is is that that behavior that runs up against obstruction— yeah, when you start questioning witnesses against you in an yeah. ongoing, yeah, you know, you're not but supposed to do that. When, when so. he ha- how he asked it was really, Trump reportedly asked uh, Reince Priebus whether the investigators were nice. Yeah, I mean that's kind of that's that's benign. He hey, told... hey, hey, were they
3: nice? It's like something you'd say <laughs> at the water cooler. You know after you know after you went. To have a major physical at your doctor's office, you might have someone say, "Hey, how that, how that, how that physical go? Hey, how was your were
4: blind? Nice? How was your blind date last
3: night? That
5: was one of the it questions. Was nice. There were other questions yeah. that were more." If into, you, like, what, what did they ask yeah, you? What who, was going when, on? Once yeah. he gets into all that, that seems a little, you know. You get kind of, what are you doing? You uh-huh. just stay away from it. Don't yeah. ask questions, but he did. Uh, Special Counsel Robert Mueller is reportedly gathering evidence at a meeting in the Seychelles, which are a bunch of islands yeah. in the Indian Ocean or off East Africa. Or Seychelles. Is that what they are? I don't know. Seychelles sounds better. I saw it both ways, so I wasn't sure. Uh, between uh, So the meeting was between Blackwater founder Eric Prince. They're a military for hire sort yeah. of. Former military people, paramilitary for hire that worked in Iraq and Afghanistan, Blackwater. holding security. They don't. I'm, I don't think they go by Blackwater anymore because there was a horrible thing they did. Well, and so by the way, Blackwater
3: not as bad as Blue Water. Right. Always, don't ever trust the Blue Water.
5: And then I think he may be the brother of, or brother or brother-in-law of the current Secretary of Education that gets him to Trump's orbit. Yeah, I think they're all in the same orbit. They're all somewhat related. So, Blackwater founder Eric Prince and a top Russian official part of a bid to create a backwater backwater back channel between the Trump administration and the Kremlin. Uh oh. According to the Washington Post, Prince had told congressional investigators that the meeting was not set up in advance, but an account was contradicted by a witness cooperating with Mueller. The meeting took place just before Donald Trump was inaugurated as president. George Nader, a Lebanese-American businessman, helped set up the meeting and was a key figure and is a key figure in the Mueller investigation. On Wednesday, Representative Mike Conway of Texas said he has never heard of the man. Conway is the Republican leading the House Intelligence Committee's equivalent investigation yeah. into this whole Mueller, what wow. Mueller's looking at. So the, the House Intelligence Committee doesn't know who this guy is, but Mueller's all over it because it's weird to set up a back channel, not through the State Department, yeah. but to send a guy that's not in government to an island to have a secret meeting with a foreign government so well, you can have this and other also, channel. Also,
3: one of the owners or founders of an enormous military-ish security firm. Security firm.
5: Yeah. It seemed like a weird... It's just a thing weird. there. And by the way... I think Jared was involved. So Jared from... from Kushner. Subway? Kushner. Oh, I thought you were going to say no, from Subway. <laughs> he's yeah, a little busy at the moment. Jared's, yeah. yeah, Jared's yeah.
3: Yeah, indisposed.
5: President Trump announced a White House meeting on Thursday where he's expected to sign a formal order to impose the tariffs on aluminum and steel. He's going to do it. He's that do should it. be at 3.30 Eastern today. 100,
3: 100 members of Congress, Republicans, signed a
5: note saying, hey, let's not do this. What do they know?
3: Let's not get into this right the, now. We've have got no
2: elections.
5: <laughs> uh, there was some question on whether this was actually going to happen today. Okay, yeah. Because there was conflicting reports. People were saying yes, and others were saying, huh? A meeting? What are you talking about? What? So apparently the meeting's on. I tried to check again. Okay. It was confirmed. Uh, a mystery of the former Russian agent who was poisoned with a nerve agent in a small English city on Sunday is getting more complex by the day. The Telegraph reports Thursday that Sergei Skripal... S-K-R-I-P-A-L. That yeah. sounds good. Yeah, who remained in critical condition in the hospital alongside his daughter and a British police officer, was in close contact with a security consultant who worked for Christopher Steele, the former British agent who compiled the infamous Trump dossier. The newspaper ah. refused to name the consultant, but reported a LinkedIn page, deleted in the past few days, stated he was based in Salisbury, where the uh, attempted murder took place, and had previously done work for the Orbis Business Intelligence, which was run by this Christopher Steele, who was the guy that created the Trump dossier. The Telegraph report states, if the Kremlin believed that Colonel Skripkel, that's the guy's name that's been poisoned, might have helped with the compilation of the dossier, it could explain the motive for the assassination attempt, allegedly, if that's what what it was. On Wednesday, uh, Valerie Mazarov, a former construction Magnate who fled Russia, there's a lot of those around the world, told uh, local news there that the the, uh, guy that was poisoned was not retired and met with military intelligence officers every month. Holy cow. And it was a nerve agent. Yes. So it wasn't like, he wasn't, this just
3: wasn't some E. coli thing. This was a nerve agent. He didn't need like bad lettuce. By the way, did you notice that when you said the word Salisbury, yeah. Jeff's eyes lit up and, and then like, the wow. audio went mm-hmm. totally
5: haywire. yeah, be good stuff. So it, 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 it just seemed like a normal, possible assassination attempt, but hey, it may tie back to all of our problems. This is crazy. Or not. Or not. Or not. It could just be nothing. It could be just a big fat nothing burger. Just Russia's trying to assassinate former citizens, that's mm-hmm. fine. Or not. I mean. What these stories are anymore? Gotta quit out. saying steak and burger and yeah, we're right. not. Now, after saying all that, so we just had a story about uh, Trump talking to witnesses about investigations. Yeah, we had uh, M- M- Mueller looking into secret meetings in an island in the Indian Ocean. Mm-hmm. We have uh, tariffs. Right. That's coming up. We also had a possible assassination attempt and all that. Okay. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Writer for the New York Times. Okay. Decided he was going to just alter his news habits. How? Find a new way to approach the news. So he goes, in January, I turned off my digital news notifications, unplugged from Twitter and other social networks, and subscribed to home delivery of three print newspapers. Okay. He went New York Times, Washington Post, and then his local paper was the San Francisco Yeah, the Chronicle. Yeah, he Mm -hmm. caught that paper. So he goes, I have spent most days since then getting the news mainly from print, podcast, email, newsletters, and long-form notification. He says, basically, it was he was trying to slow jam the news. (laughs) Not like Mitt Romney did. No, please. That was uncomfortable. Uh, Now, I'm not just less anxious and less addicted to the news. I am more widely informed. In two months, I managed to read a half dozen books, took up pottery, and I think became a more attentive husband and father. Wow. He goes, this is the most important rule of all. Excuse me. After reading newspapers for a few weeks, I began to see it wasn't newspapers that were so great, but social media that was so bad. You don't have to read a print newspaper to get a better relationship with the news, but for goodness sake, please stop getting your news mainly from Twitter and Facebook. In the long run, you and everyone else will be better off. Mm, That's
4: great. So he basically said that uh, newspapers are not great. Or
3: newspapers aren't great, but better than every other alternative.
5: Yeah, but the newspapers aren't great is what he said. He said really what it comes down to is you don't need to know every single detail yeah. <laughs> because not, you're, you're not prepping to be on a cable TV show and have to fight over nothing.
3: Yeah, but what if? What so if they call?
5: <laughs> they won't. So you can just read the detail and go, hmm, and move on with your day.
2: Yeah. And And there's also. You you read
5: 15 examples of the story to find out every last little detail. It's not necessary for you to exist, is Mm -hmm. what he's trying to say.
4: There's also just something more pleasant about holding a physical paper in your hand versus just swiping with your finger. Getting a little ink on your fingers. That's great. You feel like you accomplished more. Mm -hmm. And this guy, it sounds like he accomplished quite a bit. Yeah. That's
3: kind of nice. And read books, started pottery, talked to his kids. Oh, wow.
4: Oh, talking
3: Remembered
5: he had his kids? Wait, I have children? Kids? You're <laughs> getting older. That's amazing. That's now, a good
3: little test for Now, injury. finally,
5: what do you think the most deadliest animal in the United States is?
3: Deadliest?
5: The deadliest animal.
3: Uh, meaning it kills the most, or yeah. if it got
5: you, mm, no, it kills you would the die
3: most. the fastest. Which um, animal
5: leads to the most casualties? Humans. Not us.
3: Okay, we're not calling us animals. That's
5: true, but we're talking like actual animals. Um,
3: Deadliest animal would probably be um, an animal that we are around the most. Mm. So, um, obviously the alligator.
1: (laughs) No. No. Good guess, though.
5: Yeah. Dog? Dog? The New York Times reports researchers in a study published in Wilderness and Environmental Medicine, which, of course, you subscribe to. I just read it last week. They found that hornets, wasps, and bees killed 478 people between 2008 and 2015. That's 29% of the 1,610 people killed by animals during that period. Sheesh. Do we call them animals, though? Bees, wasps, and Just hornets? when they're stinging you. Yeah. It's also the reason Dr. Jared Forrester, the study lead author, said in a press release that it's critical that EpiPens and other auto-injectors of that ilk are yeah. available because it's a common thing and people have reactions. Their price has quadrupled in recent years. He goes, dogs were also responsible for a high number of human deaths. 272 people, including 95 kids under 10 during the study period, died. The fatality rate in dog attacks for children under four was nearly quadrupled that of other age groups. Are we talking rabies or just... Dog attacks. Ugh. It's usually family dogs or dogs known to the children yeah. who are doing this because... The kids walk up, and the dog reacts. So that's part of it. Uh, they surprisingly, neither dogs nor the stinging in- insects were the deadliest group, according to the study what? of animals. The honor goes to pigs, cows, and horses. A category called other mammals, most comprised of farm animals, responsible for 576 deaths, or 36% of animal-caused deaths between 2008 and 2015. So I got two of them right. Yeah. Well, you actually didn't have... You probably don't have a B button,
4: do you? Well, I had the the cow and the horse. <clears throat> yeah,
3: <laughs> he
4: almost that's, had a cow. I don't, I don't. How consider, many animals do you have? I don't on consider your board? a B an animal, though. So that's why I didn't play that yeah.
3: one. That's interesting. Um, so, horses, yeah. and pigs,
4: horses, pigs, and cows. Oh my! What about chickens? I mean, chickens I are killing people. Sure. Left avian flu.
5: Yeah, but we're killing them at a at a higher rate. We still win.
4: It's a very good
5: point. <laughs> Overall, 72% of animal attacks were, on, were uh, uh, with men. Most were between the ages of 35 and 64, so it happening to men. Uh, fatal animal attacks were most common in the southeast and least common in the northeast. So how are cows? Are, like, are they falling over on people or just like a cow disease? If a cow starts to move and you're in the way, it's pretty I deadly.
3: Have you ever had a cow sit on you?
5: No.
4: Well, you don't want it. I've had a cow sell me chicken, though. Yeah.
3: I saw a cow climb a billboard. Really? And stand on a billboard was it and outs- start painting a sign. It was like
4: standing
5: on the back of another cow. Yeah. Was it outside uh, Ebbing, Missouri?
3: Yeah. There, I, it, was, it, was, well, it was about three billboards outside. I, yeah. saw,
5: I saw the one where the cow was on the ladder. Another cow was holding the ladder down below for safety first because yeah. they're on a billboard. Right? Yeah. Now, what are they-, they just need to work on their handwriting.
3: Yeah, they
6: write Penmanship like is... <laughs>
5: their spelling is atrocious.
3: <laughs> um, are you guys left-handed?
5: No.
4: My wife is. My wife is, too. Did you know this is going to blow your gourd?
3: Did you know that animals, <laughs> like a kangaroo, has a, a, a favorite hand? Like left-handed or well, right-handed? Well, sure.
5: When they're boxing, you got to know, are they lefty or righty? Favorite or, or more prominently used? What do you mean?
3: More intuitively, their hand, it's called... Handedness. Hmm. Hmm. Humans have handedness. A certain percentage of humans tend to prefer their left hand dominant, but so do animals. Kangaroos. By the way, did you know snails have handedness, even though they don't have hands?
4: My wife is always trying to sell me on how great it is to be a left hander. She said, you know, she talks about the statistics of people that are left-handed, and she said it's some ridiculously small amount yeah, of people are we're left-handed. talking about it today. But she's like... Okay, if left-handed people aren't better or if, you know, there's such a small percentage, why are so many baseball players left-handed? Yeah. It's like there's something – that, there's that, a correlation between baseball, left-handers. a huge advantage, right? Yeah. She's, she's saying – trying to make the point of there's a, a correlation between uh, being great and being left-handed. Well, we also used to think
3: that they were um, evil spawn of darkness that needed to be destroyed. <laughs> so for centuries, it wasn't an advantage.
4: Yeah. But
3: now that we are a little warped – We would pay a left-handed pitcher more money. Yeah. Because they're just really hard to hit off of, I guess. I've never hit off of a left-handed pitcher.
4: And watch out for those left-handed accountants, too.
3: Holy cow. Yeah. Can't trust them. Can't trust them. So today we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, why aren't you a lefty? We're going to talk to a geneticist about the odds, the numbers, and also uh, about the rest of the animal kingdom, including, did you know, that how your hair swirls? Whichever direction it swirls tends to also parallel if you're a lefty or a righty. (laughs) Crazy science straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. What do we know about the genetics of being right-handed or left-handed or even ambidextrous? Uh, Dr. Thomas Merritt, associate professor at Laurentian University, found that roughly 90% of people are right-handed, but why? Here to answer the question, you may be asking yourself, why am I not a lefty Is Dr. Merritt? Dr. Merritt, thank you so much for being with us today.
7: Oh, you're more than welcome. Thanks for having me on.
3: What uh, what drove you to, to want to
7: study lefties and righties? Yeah. So just to be clear, I, I wrote an article about lefties and righties. I actually study fly genetics, um, and but I do a lot of education. So I, I teach genetics. I do a lot of community work in genetics, and when I try to explain to people the the value or the the importance of the genetics of metabolism in flies, your eyes glows over. There's not a, a connection. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so the the question was, how do you take a really interesting point in genetics and engage people in that that conversation and get them interested in it, and handedness is is one way to do that. Lots of everybody's handed either right, left or as you said ambidextrous and most people are interested in why. <clears throat> now, you know
3: what? That is that's I think that's a really um, noble thing to try to help us to understand why genetics matter because I, I you in your article you mentioned so many things that I had no idea were happening. Like we we don't necessarily want to to do a study on, left, on people and, and see if we can take a child and make them right-handed if they're left-handed. That's Correct. not fair to yeah. the child. So instead, we need to study other animals. And you brought up the fact that there are other animals that have handedness, even if they don't have hands.
7: Yeah, so I, I think one of the really interesting things about handedness, um, in, in addition to the fact that we're still trying to figure out the genetics, like it, the genetics has been surprisingly difficult to piece apart with even something as simple as handedness, when we started looking at it, there was the impression that humans had right- and left-handedness, um, and that was it, that, that handedness didn't exist across uh, the animal kingdom. Uh, but then we started looking at that more closely, and we realized that you know, everything from an octopus to a chimpanzee to kangaroos to your house cat have a preferred hand. Huh. Uh, the really striking thing in people is that we have this bias where 90% of the people are, are right-handed. Uh, even when you look at something as closely related as chimpanzees, there's a bias, but it's like a 60-70% bias. It's not the overwhelming bias that you see in people.
3: Interesting. So so I guess if if, uh, if, every, if you can see handedness everywhere, then it's probably, is it then purely a genetic phenomenon or is, it, is there an environmental aspect to it?
7: Yeah, that's a really great question. So what's the relative contribution of genetics versus environment? And then the other thing we have to throw in that is random chance. And so it ends up that I think one of the reasons that hand in this is really interesting is because it's a great example of how all of those things work together. So there is absolutely a genetic component, but that genetic component is modified by the environment. Um, And then that, that... in addition to that, there's a random chance, and so what we do think we know about the genetics in humans shows that random contribution. So one of the things that I po- point out in the article is this correlation between handedness and the direction your hair whirls on the <laughs> top of your head. Right. And so 90% of the world is right-handed, and 90% of the world the, the hair whirls to the right. And then the number is not exactly 90%, but there is this bias in the the way the hair spins. And we think that the, the genetics of those two are correlated, and this has been called into question, and there's some really interesting studies that are sort of trying to parse that apart. Um, but we can look at other, other pieces of handedness to try to understand it. When we look at left-handed, the, the hair whirl goes the other way, but not everybody who has a counterclockwise hair whirl is left-handed. And about half of the people with a counterclockwise whirl are lefty. And we think this is this coin toss. Huh. So if you have the genetics that goes for the counterclockwise whirl, then there's about a 50-50 chance that you're left-handed. And we think that that literally may come down to just a, a developmental flip of the coin, which way do things fall out?
3: That is amazing. And, yeah, and how cool is that? It's really
7: cool. And, and who even thinks of the hair whirl? So this is so work that came up by Amar Klar um, about 10 years ago who was a really clever geneticist and, and you really can't underestimate the value of being clever in science and this you know this observation or the, the, the information was out there just people hadn't made the connection and so Klar made this connection and went in and tested it and and Some of the studies were as simple as just observing the world around you and looking to see how many people had that counterclockwise world versus the clockwise world. Um, He passed away last year. And one of the neat things for me about this article um, was that a number of people have commented on it that were colleagues and friends of his um, and how much he would have loved to have seen the work that he pioneered 10 years ago back in the public eye and people talking about it. Is it...
3: um, Oh, this is just... I think it's fascinating. Is there... I guess, as I look at it, um, we think of handedness just as like maybe the dominant hand, the stronger arm, the stronger hand um, but how would that work in an octopus? How would that work in other in other species or other animals that that don't seem to uh, that don't seem to have necessarily a hand preference but maybe just a direction preference?
7: Yeah, and so I guess there there are a number of levels to that. So one of the things is is that even if there's not a bias in in a particular type of animal in a species, in an individual, so they will be biased right or left. But how are you biased right if you don't have hands? Um, in many organisms, it's the eye that they preferentially identify prey with. So it, birds and octopus and, and other organisms will they will hunt from the right or they will hunt from the left? Huh. And so within a population, you have them that. that focus on or or predominant with uh, the left eye or the right eye, Uh, even if they don't have a hand And other examples, like your house cat, um, if you observe your cat, that your cat has a hand they prefer to toy with their food with. Hmm. And you've got right-handed and left-handed cats, so they've got, you know, that paw now is is the dominant paw. And just a a really silly but fun example, uh, when dogs lift their legs to pee, when male dogs lift their legs to pee, Dogs have a sided preference, and so there are right-legged dogs and left-legged dogs.
3: <laughs> how interesting is that? That's amazing. Right. I mean, it's, just, it's not like know, they, really, can't, they can know, do it either way, but it's, they just have a preference.
7: And, and what it speaks to is just how universal the, the genetics behind this system likely are. Uh, it doesn't have to be the same genetic system in, in every case, but it may be. Um, and if we're interested in the, the genetics of the human handedness, we can use these other cases, things like cats and dogs, to, to try to, to, to study that. The, I mean, there are a lot of levels of that why we would want to do that. Um, one of the things that's really striking in humans is because of this bias is trying to understand developmentally where that comes in and the sort of biology behind the wiring that leads to the, the dominant handedness. And to see from that if we can try to understand what, what's the, the, um, the reason behind, uh, at least the mechanism behind the, the, the pattern that we see.
3: You even brought up the fact that um, snails... That don 't have hands, they too have a, a direction in which some of the, that the majority uh, have their their shell uh, i don 't know twirl or swirl to one direction to the right, I guess, but but a certain percentage still have them swirling to the left.
7: yeah, so the, the snail example is super cool, so it 's the spiral in the shell. And this is something that you could literally pick up the snails and see, and the, and the bias there is ridiculous. It's like 97% or 99% mm. snails have this particular spiral. And, and the complication from the snail's point of view is, is there is a, the rare snail that spirals the other way, <laughs> um, yeah. but it's not just the snail shell that spirals, and so their genitalia actually spiral. And so... If you are a snail who spirals the wrong way, you can only mate with a snail who spirals the wrong way. And so that's just essentially never going to happen in the (laughs) wild. But there was this great case in the U.K. where they were trying to find a mate for this lonely left-handed snail, or (laughs) right-handed snail, I can't remember. Um, And there was a national search for other snails that were the wrong spiral, you know, the, the opposite spiral, yeah. and they found them. Oh boy, and they good. were able to. And I think the, the the unfortunate punchline may have been that the snail that started this was never able to mate, but two of the other snails that had the wrong spiral, <laughs> uh, the rare spiral. Well, then, uh, yeah, then
3: you can see an entire movement start out for that that one percent snail. What, what what odds? What do you see? Are the um, advantages then to lefties being a human being? What 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 are the odds? Are are they Is it an advantage? Does it somehow help them?
7: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So why do we see the 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 I mean, There are a couple of ways that you can ask that. You can say, why do we see lefties at all? Um, If there's such a strong bias to to being right-handed, why are there left-handed individuals? And and then the other way to say, is there an advantage to be uh, left-handed? I I think one way to think of it is there's not such a severe disadvantage to being left-handed that it hasn't been lost in the population. Hmm. there are some interesting correlations between left-handed, uh, left-headedness, and people within population, and so um, there's lots of anecdotal evidence of artists and, and creative types being left-handed. Um, it, it's that comes down to the or the. Trying to examine that correlation comes into the sort of confounding effects of of nature and nurture. Um, A perfectly reasonable explanation for this observation that people like artists and architects tend to be left handed is it may simply be that the challenges of being left handed in a right handed dominant world make you more creative. So Hmm. scissors don't tend to work for you, so you found a way to make those scissors work. I I think this is a phenomenal, uh, really exciting way to think about how. how plastic, how adaptive the human species, actually any organism, really is. Um, Now, in addition to that, there may be something behind the idea that the genetics behind being left-handed are associated with the genetics behind being creative, and that's a difficult thing to, to piece apart. One of the questions, though, is why is there such a strong bias? And that's one of the reasons I think we've looked into the animal kingdom to try to see where do we see handedness. And handedness is universal, but the strong bias is a human trait. So what is it unique about humans that might be correlated to that? And it may have something to do with just how overdeveloped our brains are and the amount of wiring that goes into being handed. So as I'm speaking to you on the phone right now, I am gesturing aimlessly with my right hand. but That's just (laughs) part of how I speak. I do it right-handed. Right. And And there's a lot of complicated correlation between the way that my brain is is thinking that my mouth and lungs and and tongue are talking to you and that I'm you know making these hand signals that go along with it that's a really complicated wiring and it may be that the bias that we see towards right-handedness reflects just how complicated the developmental biology behind that bias is. If that's true What's maintaining this little subset of of left-handed? And that's a really interesting question.
2: And
3: and I'm assuming if we forced you to switch hands um, and and alter how you held the phone with your dominant hand and you had to gesture with another hand, would
7: it impact how you think? I'd be absolutely – wow, would I? Yeah, now that's a super question. I was going to say I'm absolutely hopeless. At gesturing with my left hand. <laughs> I can't do uh, it. But would it force you to, to think differently? I think it probably would. And I think this is part of the, the reason that we're interested in this question. What happens when you lose use of that dominant hand? Um, how does your body respond to that challenge? Um, and it responds differently at different times. I mean, we know because of the, the, the longstanding prejudice against left handed, uh, at least in some cultures, left against left handedness, that people can be forced to write right handed, even if they're naturally left handed. Um, and I think that was one of the complications in trying to understand handedness was the fact that um, if you just look at dominant hand use, that is so modified by the culture that you're in. And the way that Clark and other people have, have handed, handled this uh, is to look at a variety of behaviors and so you know, not just what's your dominant hand, what do you throw with, how do you use a knife, fork, and spoon. Um, and I, I think we all have a, a feel for just how subtle that can be. Uh, so, for example, uh, my wife and daughter play hockey. I mean, it's a good Canadian thing to do. Yeah. Um, and we're all right-handed, but they both shoot left-handed. And everybody in my wife's family, her her brothers and her father are strong, avid hockey players. Um, they all shoot lefty, huh. although they're righty. And so that's, you know, one of the behaviors that goes, goes the other way. Um, in, in my case, it wouldn't matter. I'm absolutely hopeless with a hockey <laughs> stick, so it wouldn't matter whether you put it in my left hand or my right hand.
3: doesn't matter, does it? Well, uh, Thomas, before I let you go, I guess we, we need to also ask you, because you, you've taught us the the value of, you know, being really curious about our genetics, but then you, you actually, you work with flies, and um, you're tying that to metabolism. Just let us in on some of your latest research. What, what, what can we all learn from what you're doing with flies?
7: Yeah, so I'll tell you, one of the neat projects that I'm, using at, I'm doing at the moment, we do a lot, a lot of work with metabolism. Um, and Sudbury, Ontario, where I live, is a mining community, so we're using flies to understand the metabolism of working deep underground. And so we take flies into a mine environment, and then we bring them back up, and we do this in a repeated way. Uh, and what we're looking at is not just how much metabolism changes, but how it's changing. Um, And we're doing that in a broad field called metabolomics. But the the exciting thing is that we think we're going to be able to understand how a miner's metabolism and physiology changes in response to that deep underground environment. And then we can go back to the mining community and say, okay, look, this is how your body responds to it. And these are the good responses and these are the negative responses. And here's ways that you can modify your diet and your behavior Mm. to. Promote the, the positive aspects that your body's responding and, then, and try to reduce that negative impact. So we can actually look at using the fly model because they're super easy to work with. We work with thousands of individuals. We've got short lifespans. Lots of reasons why that model is an easy model. But then we can apply it back to something as fundamental as how do you work with an an organization to make a work environment a healthier environment. Oh, that's beautiful.
3: Man, Thomas, cool stuff. Thomas Merritt, Dr. Thomas Merritt, thank you so much for your time, your insights. Again, uh, Thomas is an associate professor at Laurentian University. His research involves using genomics and bioinformatics to investigate the connection between genotypes and phenotypes. Holy cow. Plus, he's working with flies and making the life uh, better for a minor, as well as also teaching us about left-handedness, right-handedness. Powerful stuff, folks. Man, we are so blessed to have access to uh, researchers like Thomas. We will continue the journey, folks, doing what we can on the show to help you be the good in the world. Your kids come home from school, you really want to connect, you want to find out how their day is going, and you immediately start asking them about their day. Yes. And Terry has uh, been combing through all of the latest parenting
5: research in order to find out that maybe we shouldn't be doing that. According to this piece that I read off of uh, lifehacker.com, if you ever looked at that website. yeah. Now, in the case of my home, my wife comes home from work. Yeah, she wants to know what happened to my my boy. He's six. He's in first tell grade. Me tell day. me about your day. And he's like mm, nothing, you know. And I'll ask him. He's in the back seat of the car. I go. So what'd you do today? Nothing. Yeah. I go. You were there for like seven hours or whatever it is. How? What, you did nothing all day. Did you just go sit in your desk and stare at the wall? He goes. Well, no, we did some stuff. Or like, they say stuff. they can't remember. You know. That's the other thing. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. But Sheesh. I ask him, like, would you do a recess? And he just starts running through all the, yeah. you know, would <laughs> you eat for lunch? Problems. Oh, we had this and it was that and this <laughs> and that. <laughs> so what do, we, what do
3: they suggest we do instead?
5: So um, this guy goes through and talks about how school is draining. You get a noth- uh, nothing or what's yeah, the response you sure. get. He goes, they have to get, if they're teenagers, they're getting up early. And so this is kind of why at the end of the day, it's like school isn't, it's, it's fun at times, but yeah. most of the time it's kind of a drag. It's hard. It's work. Right. You know, and I, I actually describe it to my kid. I go, mom and me go to work, so do you. Your job is school. Well, how many times does uh,
3: somebody come home from work and the spouse says, how
5: was your day? And you're right. like, eh, fine. And it's kind of the same What'd thing. What did you do? Did you play? Uh. So my wife, I, I, I brought this to her and she got mad because she goes, how am I supposed to find out unless I ask him? Yeah. Hmm. How am I, And I go, well, there's some ideas. She goes, everything feels like a game. You got to try to trick your kid to talk to you. That's how I and, <laughs> no, and I go, eh. You really of. do. You really do. Wait, well, <laughs> think about it. The and rest it, of your life, you'll be yeah, doing that. But th- this this combined with she's tired, she just wants an answer. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. She doesn't want to work for it. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, so some th- you can ask questions like, what is something interesting or fun or difficult that you did today? Yeah. That's a great question. Tell me the hardest thing you did today. And and my my boy will go. Nothing. I'm 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 good at everything. Dad, I'm easy. six. Nothing's hard. He likes to say easy peasy, <laughs> lemon easy. squeezy. I'm like,
4: stop it. Not-. No- nothing's hard until it's time to clean up the mess that they've made throughout yeah. the day. Well, then it's
2: hard.
5: Yeah. Uh, what was on your mind today? What were you thinking about? Hmm. That's scary. You don't know what you're going to get no, after that. With but, a teenager. Yeah. But, I
3: mean, it's... But that would open up a whole conversation.
5: Uh, who did you sit with at lunch today? We asked that one quite a bit. Yeah. Trying to see, like, who your friends, who you're talking to, and it changes every day.
3: How, how did your parole go? How
5: was your parole hearing? <laughs> how did your parole hearing yeah. go, son? <laughs> a child psychologist says, uh, kids and teens don't really want to make the effort to share the details of school, especially when some of the details may be upsetting, embarrassing, or unpleasant. Don't grill your child, but if you hit on something that seems concerning, I sat alone at lunch, that kind of thing. Maybe it's important to follow up there. Mm, Yeah, see what's going on. Make sure your kid is not being isolated or you know bullying or that kind of things going on. Uh, Can I tell you something crazy that happened to me today? So maybe Ooh. you offer, and then they'll, they'll yeah. offer. You know, you start the conversation that's with something really that you did.
4: But then you have to create something crazy to have happened to you during the day. But that's,
3: you know what, for example, very easy. Hmm. Today, driving into work, I somehow, I guess blessedly, got behind a, a, a space alien
4: hmm.
3: that for the first time apparently ever was driving through a construction zone. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was amazing because i have they were so careful and slow and just methodical
5: just use their brake as
3: they went through a construction zone obviously yeah. the first time they had ever been on the face of the earth
5: maybe this is somebody that's
4: driven over a nail a hundred
5: times and was oh, fed maybe up maybe
4: that was it yeah. but whatever it was I'm pretty sure it was a
3: space
5: See, alien when I go through the same <laughs> construction zone I kind of picture myself going down a luge track no I love that that's why zoom in imagine you're oh, yeah. going down
3: the luge track and then somebody
5: let's test this the suspension. the first time
3: they've ever been on a luge track hmm. or on the face of the earth
5: yeah Face yeah, of the so that's what I'd tell my kids. So experts say kids are development mentally quite self-centered. Learning to care about others starts at home, but only if they are shown how to care about the lives of others. That's good. So if you say, can I share something with you, then they can reciprocate and back and forth yeah. and maybe you get that conversation going. That's a great idea. Uh again though, this is the games you have to play to get well, your kid to we talk. We ca- we don't
3: call it games, that it sounds feels like we it. call it parenting.
5: It feels like a game. And well, you're, you by the way, let's just get real. The games
3: you play just to get married. Well, yeah. And then the games you play to stay married. Same. And everyone's like, "I hate games." You've been playing them your whole
5: life. It's true. Hey, don't
4: you hate hate it when your kid will put the kibosh on a conversation starter like, uh, "Hey, do you want to hear about my day?" No. Not really, Father. Okay. Can you go back to your room and ignore <laughs> me and watch Netflix?
5: What are all, another question is, what are all the things you're grateful for today? Oh, that's cool. And they kind of, well, we asked, you, you kind of brought it up once with, uh, we were talking off air about uh, what was the what was the thing you were successful at today? Yeah, what did you nail today? Then they get this sort of positive affirmation, That like, okay, I did, I guess, three things good today. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Getting more positive. Um, this question's interesting. Do you feel full? What is your tummy telling you type that's of Then, then you... they can start noticing See, feelings about their food.
4: I never have to ask that, though. My children will volunteer that information on a daily basis, especially when it's something they really don't want to be eating.
3: But don't they? You're, you have girls that probably eat like birds.
4: Tummy my tummy little... is telling me that I'm full. <laughs> Do they really? Really? Because yeah. my my, my uh, what you're telling me is that you don't like this See, dinner. See, my boys are just like, that's
3: gross.
5: Yeah.
3: They don't. They're not delicate like that. They're just like, they think something's sick.
5: My boy's like, that's green. No, not eating it.
3: We don't do green. I'm not doing Dad. green
5: here in this house. I'm like, it's broccoli. You like broccoli. Nope, it's green. Not eating it. This is good advice, though. Yeah. Uh, what made you laugh recently? Another question. That's good. Mm. What was something that was funny? That, see, and by being more specific, you might draw them out.
3: Especially, you might even notice which of these they prefer. Right. They may prefer to always tell you something
5: funny. They they rephrase it as when did you experience joy today but maybe that's a little too much for a kid to think about joy but what was funny you know and they can think about when when they had that feeling and again it's more positive yeah. and they can draw them out Jimmy
4: of, when were you present in the now When were you pre- <laughs> what? what joy sits next to me yeah. at school on about? when I about?
3: blew the head off that one guy I was totally present mom
5: <laughs> I so <still laughs> want to play that game
3: Fortnite. Yeah. yeah. What is that? It's a brand new game that's okay. taken tangent. The
5: world. Tangent. They're they're adding the to that game 20 team on 20 team games. Oh, wow. So twenty on twenty capabilities. Yeah. Okay. Hey, maybe maybe that's a question you ask.
4: Hey, can you tell me what a Fortnite is? Do you know what yeah. a Fortnite is? What's a
5: Fortnite, buddy? Yeah. Explain this.
3: But my my son will actually all their friends will go gather all of their games, their game, their Xbox ones. Okay, they'll go to one house. They'll set up four TVs and play it all sitting next to each
4: other.
2: Mm-hmm. whoa
3: instead of doing it over the phone and then they have a like a sleepover and they play Fortnite. They just go so it's really an all nighter yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: you really feel the sense of bonding there too oh, the, yeah. the parents in that home will then go to another parent's that's home right. so they can sleep usually those parents are probably out of town that's right uh, this one said do you have any questions about what's going on in the news so for older kids uh-huh. maybe they see something and they're like what's going You know,
3: father I have a question about the latest on Mr. Trump
5: what's news go to bed go to bed we don't need to talk about that uh, what do you want to do tomorrow? Another question oh, you can ask you your go. kid. Yeah, that's good. I, I always run through the schedule because he forgets key components, like where he's supposed to be at certain times. Yeah, so. that's
4: good. I have to stop asking that question to my three-year-old, though, because she always says, Duck, Duck, Goose.
5: She always wants to play Duck, Duck, yeah. Goose with two people. Obviously addicted. Okay, <laughs> hey, run uh, around.
3: The two-person Duck, Duck, Goose. Uh, uh, Give some, us one more.
5: Some other questions. How are your friends or classmates doing? Mm. Uh, what do you talk about in English or history or some other yeah. class specifically asked? Yeah. And what was your best success of the day? The question you had uh, cool. proposed earlier. So That's
3: great. See, parents, there's
5: things you can ask, but don't just ask, how was your day?
3: Yeah. You'll get, no, fine, bad. Nothing happened. Leave me alone. Okay, good stuff. Parenting 101. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, raise a healthier, happier family. Welcome back. You know, according to crash reports filed with California's Department of Motor Vehicles, people are attacking driverless cars. What? I know. So far in 2018, autonomous vehicles played a role in six accidents on state roads. Of those, two of the accidents involved angry humans shouting at and slapping the self-driving cars. Hmm. So a third of the accidents caught the, uh, that involved driverless cars also had uh, humans beating up cars. Wow. This is, this is a problem. Because Don't they know
4: that, that cars have feelings too? it's essentially a robot.
3: Well, that's actually right. A driverless car would have feelings. Yeah. Uh, according to the first report, a male pedestrian supposedly attacked a self-driving Chevy Bolt as it waited at a traffic light in San Francisco. It was waiting for pedestrians to cross the road. And the vehicle was in self-driving mode, but a human was in the driver's seat, as required by state law. The raging pedestrian ran across the street shouting. He then struck the left side of the cruise's AV's, uh, AV's rear bumper and hatch with his entire body.
4: Hmm. Beating up
3: a car. By the way, with a driver in it,
4: that's Getsy. But not to holding the wheel. He's not holding just the wheel. behind the wheel. Yeah. How long are we going to have to wait before
5: we no longer have to sit behind the wheel of a driverless car? When um, legislators are not terrified of people not driving <laughs> yeah. a car. As well, and as
3: soon as a lot more – a lot of people can make a lot more money doing this.
5: Yes, because mm-hmm. then they can lobby effectively right. and get the laws changed. So it sounds like you needed one of those James Bond
4: gadgets where, like, the license plate flips over and oil oh, yeah. sprays out or something like that.
5: Some, well, no, no, no. Oh. We're talking about well, oil, just oil, maybe some gas. Let's not kill anybody. Smoke. Let's just yeah. And then yeah. in, the,
4: in the middle of the smoke.
5: What, what, we don't no, have to no, kill anybody No. Here. Okay. Just we just want
4: to teach him a lesson.
5: He just wants a machine gun. <laughs> that was my car.
4: favorite.
3: That was my favorite. I had a little James Bond car, and the little license plate would flip down, and yeah. no, out of the front of the grill.
5: Yeah. Two. It's always out of the headlights.
3: Shotguns or whatever would pop out, right. and then <laughs> yeah,
4: and yeah. it's always the button that says "Do not press this button." It's a good point.
3: Good point. Helping you through the driverless world. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt Townsend.
2: Now
3: on BYU Radio.
0: BYU Radio.
2: Good
3: morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here. Happy Thursday to you. Along with Jeff and Terry, we always celebrate our Thursdays. It's the day before Friday.
5: Oh, I thought it was because it was thor's day
3: no,
4: nope, only in your head
3: okay that's thor's why i celebrate
5: it yeah that's really it derives from thor's day the day of thor is that yeah. a fact you can look it up jack okay if you wish i'm saying it's a fact prove me wrong no i'm good oh, I, then i'll just ignore you go ahead i don't
3: look at it as thursday i look at it as the day that i get to pick up my new blender Really? We've I've purchased a blender. I won't mm. name names, but if you go on YouTube, it is a blender that can iPhones. blend tiki torches and iPhones. <laughs> and so my wife and I, the misses, were trying to get more fiber in the diet, more tiki uh in our uh in our diet and so we've got a new blender.
4: Hey, I found out that my blender of the same name uh blends up wooden spoons rather well. Excellent. Cuz we had we had one of the uh, we had a, an older one that was going out of commission. And so, in order to make a shake, we were in this—we were in this big shake phase, ice cream shake. I would have to put in a wooden spoon and try to, you know, push the ice cream down in there. Right. And then inevitably, the spoon would get caught, and we'd have little shavings in our shakes. And I just eat it. No, I would just tell the kids, "Hey, if you get a little wooden shaving, you get to make a wish." (laughs) So they'd get excited when they got a little wood shaving. Oh, is it? Oh, I got one, Dad. That's that may be too much roughage
3: in the diet yeah luckily those weren't metal spins that's how we got our i don't know would it be protein or fiber I think it's fiber okay and um that's also when you get you know when you get backed up <laughs> be careful so i' I'll be trying out my new blender actually okay. I won't be but I'm picking it up it's a it's blender day we we're celebrating blender day.
4: And then when you run out of room in, you know, if the garbage disposal is not working, you run out of room in the garbage can. Mm. Just, you know, blend it up. Yeah, I'm good. That's a lot of work.
3: So we're going to cover that. We've also got a great guest coming up to talk to us about what happens when your adult children, millennial age, return home. What are some of the rules of bringing everyone under
5: one roof? She also talks about when parents move in with the kids. Yeah, you got those dynamics of now these kids that you raised are now adults Mm -hmm. and you need to have a different relationship with them because they are adults. You can't treat them like kids. Tommy. Eat your beans. They're going to be annoyed if you treat them like children. Yeah. So we'll get into all that fun.
3: Tons of fun there. Um but first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to?
5: President Trump's national approval rating is still a historically low 39.8 percent in the real clear politics average, 40 percent at uh, the website five thirty-eight if you're tracking those. But as a state-by-state polling of Trump's approval rating shows, the national mood really isn't so national. Uh, voters <laughs> in different corners of the country differ in how deep their anger runs and at whom it is directed at. To take control of the Senate, it doesn't much matter how democrats perform elsewhere if they can if they can't win nevada and arizona and defend red state democrats in places like missouri and indiana according to a new poll by uh, our favorite survey monkey
7: and uh, axios uh, they
5: they could be very difficult it could be very difficult for democrats to pull off taking over the senate five senate democrats would lose to a republican candidate if the election were held today and three have approval ratings under 50% Moreover, Mm. out of the 10 states Trump won, and where a Senate Democrat is up for re-election, Trump's approval rating tops 50% in six of those states. West Virginia, North Dakota, Montana, Indiana, Missouri, and Ohio. The most vulnerable Democrats, according to the survey, are Joe Manchin of West Virginia, John Tester of Montana, and Claire Claire McCaskill of Missouri. Wow. But um, they're not going to get the Senate. They're going to get the House. That's what many people feel. And if they
3: get the House, President Trump could be in trouble.
5: Well, just, uh, you, yeah, you lose part of the legislature, you can't get your agenda through, and then someone decides they're going to try to impeach you every five days. Yeah, that's... They're already trying, but no one's listening, but hmm. once all of a sudden somebody listens, uh-oh. Right. I mean, people have been trying to impeach us for years. Right. But now
3: the now they're starting to pick it out front.
5: Well, it's okay. They changed some of the security protocols so you can't storm the building quite as easily. That's right. Thank heavens. That's good. Uh, Florida legislature approved a new gun control bill, the first legislative action taken since the school shooting in Parkland last month. The legislation raises the minimum age of 21 for long gun purchases and institutes a mandatory three-day waiting period. It also allocates fundraising or funding for arming and training school employees. Florida Governor Rick Scott has said he opposes arming teachers, an idea that President Donald Trump has embraced. He has not. The governor has not said whether he would sign the legislation. So yeah. it's passed, but the governor—it's on the governor's desk. He's just going to wait and see. He'll look at it because he's trying to run for the Senate, so he doesn't want to do anything to harm that. Yeah, if we could just stall that for a long time. <laughs> an anthropology professor says bones discovered. On Nikomoro Island, uh, it's off Japan, in 1940, most likely belonged to Amelia Earhart, the aviator who disappeared in 1937.
4: You know what? We get an Amelia Earhart story every spring. I know. I think I saw her on BYU campus the other day. Oh, yeah. In
5: in this study published in the Journal of Forensic (laughs) Anthropology, Richard Jantz writes that when the bones were found, there was suspicion they could be Earhart's, but when they were examined in Fiji in 1941, it was determined they belonged to a man. Ah, Forengic, forensic forensic osteology. No, <gasps> forensic osteology was not yet a well-developed discipline. He said, "If those were Earnhardt's bones," Jan said, "It's likely she died on an island as a castaway." Yeah. Hmm. Well, so, so we could have had these bones the entire—in the article it also said the bones have been lost, so I'm not sure where they're deriving all the info from. But well, that's do you remember latest.
3: last year they had pictures of her on supposedly— On an island, yeah. On an island, and I think— I think, I think mm. it was either they, this island or one near it. But wasn't it a different trip at a it, different yeah. time, and yeah, so it, was it wasn't there. even her, it was
4: another lady. I need to correct my statement, not JFK, JFK Jr. That's what I meant. Yeah. Because yeah. he, he was lost at C2 in an airplane,
5: right? Maybe, yeah. It's too soon. Sorry. (laughs) Let's go there. Uh, Amazon News. Amazon in talks with big banks, including J.P. Morgan and Chase, or J.P. Morgan Chase, about building a checking account-like product the e-commerce giant could offer its customers, according to people familiar. The effort is still in early stages, may not come true. Uh, In fruition, the people say the talks with financial firms are focused on creating a product that would appeal to younger customers and those without bank accounts. Whatever its final form, the initiative would involve Amazon. Become it would not involve Amazon becoming a bank. Well, they would just have maybe checks with their name on it or something.
3: <laughs> th- so this comes out the same day that we find out that Jeff Bezos, his net worth went up
5: $39 billion yeah. in a year. And they didn't pay any taxes last year. Amazon didn't. And now he, they, Amazon may get into banking. Yeah. And then this would further inject Amazon into the lives of those who shop its website, go to the grocery store chain they own, read its Kindles, watch streaming video, and use those Echoes. Okay, let's talk Echo soon. Keep going. So Amazon has acknowledged that its Echo device is laughing at its users unprompted, and the company (laughs) told the websites that it's working to fix it. Users flagged (laughs) the unusual activity on social media, posting videos of the plugged-in device laughing randomly. It says, lying in bed, about to fall asleep, when my Amazon Echo Dot lets out a very loud and creepy laugh, there's a good <laughs> chance there's a good chance I'll get murdered tonight, one Twitter user joked. Oh, dear. It's that sinister of a laugh. What if you, like, drop something in the kitchen
3: at the same time and then the Echo laughs? Mm. Ooh, I'd be ticked. Sounds
5: like an episode of Black Mirror or Could something. be. Could be. Scary. So they're like, are you listening at all times? Or is there live, like, living people listening on the line when I do something and you're laughing at me? Because it sounds like people laughing. See, this is going to cause see, problems.
4: as long as it's not children' laughter, I don't think I would be creeped out. The children' laughter—that's the creepy one. Really?
3: Yeah. What, is, what would that sound like?
5: <laughs> <laughs> but there would be an echo to it. Yeah, yeah. Which
4: would be ironic. Maybe, some especially ominous, if it was coming om-
5: from the echo. Ominous music, the sound of a knife dropping in the kitchen—that kind yeah. of. Yeah. Wow. See, scary. Or children like doing
4: jump rope, jump rope chants. Yeah. But like a slightly (laughs) off-key. Slightly (laughs) off-key. Yeah,
5: Yeah, yeah. like mine was. Just a little sinister. Now we're making uh, horror movies that they could just play through the I'm telling
4: you, the the people that parents are afraid of the most are their kids. Uh, Like when you wake up in the middle of the night and they're standing there staring at you. Hello, father. Red rum. That's scary.
5: You dropped your knife. (laughs) I found your phone, father. No,
3: but it's never that. It's more like... I can't sleep. Are you awake? Mine's always like, Dad, hey, Dad, Dad, hey, Dad, hey, Dad, hey, Dad,
5: hey, Dad. What?
3: Are you awake? I am now, son.
5: What do you need? My kid just slapped me in the face. Ask your mother. uh, They come up, because they walk up and they're like, Are you awake? They just start tapping your head. I'm like, what? Yeah, fine. What? What do you need? Stop hitting me, you know. Finally, a 14-year-old boy arrested for pretending to be a sheriff's deputy launched a phony. He launched a phony investigation and pulled people over while driving around his Southern California neighborhood in an SUV equipped with flashing blue and red lights. Authorities said wow. the unidentified teen was taken into custody Tuesday after deputies found counterfeit money, fake guns, ballistic vests, and other law enforcement-related items in his home. This according to the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Office. The probe was launched a day earlier when a Victorville homeowner reported someone driving an unmarked Ford Explorer with flashing lights and wearing a sheriff's uniform with a gun holster came into the house and said he was investigating a domestic disturbance. The homeowner told him there was no problem and nobody called the police. Detectives determined that the boy interacted with at least two other people while impersonating a deputy. On the same day, the team pulled a woman over and gave her a warning before letting her go. Deputies later stopped the SUV and found the uniformed teen inside. The SUV belonged to the teen's great-grandfather, according to reports. It wasn't clear if the boy lived with his great-grandfather or how he was able to access the vehicle. The rest of the items you can just find online. So he just was playing around and walking into people's houses. Yeah. <laughs> How does a 14-year-old think he's
4: getting away with that?
3: Uh, well, he did for a while.
4: You know, he I. Just,
3: you know, he's just being creative.
4: I, maybe I should give him some credit, though, because when I was about 12 or 14, I put some blocks in my shoes. I put uh, huh? took some eyeliner or something to make it look like I had some facial hair. And I rode my bicycle over to the local video store and attempted to pass myself off as a 17-year-old so I could rent an R-rated movie. And the (laughs) worker just laughed at me, laughed right in my face. He's like, you come back next time. I give you a free movie. And I hung my head in shame and rode my bicycle back home. (sighs) Okay, Jeff, let's just teach you one thing. Um, You don't have to
3: tell these stories. You could have just let that be a secret that just died with you.
4: No, the thing is, it's not a secret anymore because my older siblings will tell <laughs> so it any chance that they funny. get.
3: So you like you used marker to pretend like you had facial hair. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And then you put blocks in your shoes to seem taller. Yeah.
4: All to get an R-rated movie. I may have even slicked my hair back. Yeah. Did you talk with like a French accent? <laughs> No, but I, I had a lower-than-usual voice for that age. Yeah, so you thought that so would So I thought that would carry some clout. Mm. Um, yeah. And then the guy just started laughing. But at he him. offered me a free movie well, so, because I made him laugh. Well,
5: no, more because he probably felt really bad for you. <laughs> he was <laughs> laughing. He felt so <laughs> bad. He's probably like, what's life going to be like for this guy? Man, I'll give him a free movie.
3: This guy's trying hard. <laughs> Do you want to share with us the name of the movie?
5: I don't know that I
4: could remember. Yeah.
3: You don't want to share it. I understand. Yeah. Um, wow. That's a great story. <laughs> I
5: wondered, could you
4: you still wear those blocks in your shoes?
5: Who told you? Well, they're, it's obvious the way you walk. They're just lifts. They're fine.
4: That's, that's a subplot in a Seinfeld episode, actually. Lifts there's a there are some little people that are trying to pass themselves off as taller
5: was it marco rubio would wear heeled shoes on purpose to give himself little a little taller, bit of really a little height there yeah. you know little didn't, marco
3: didn't marco rubio also um use like marker on his face to look like he had more facial hair
5: no okay he was thirsty at one point that's another thing he does sweat buy. like an adult male he does
3: yeah maybe that's what you were missing is the sweat
5: yeah more nervous. That's how you pull off being an adult.
3: <laughs> I think next time you want to do that, I'd lose the French accent. Okay. And I'd, I'd
5: sweat more. Hmm. Then you'd be, they wouldn't even look at you. Leave, I'm sure. I must have been sweating. Leave the cape home. Don't bring the cape next time. I, I must have
4: been sweating because I rode my bike over there. Well, maybe that was it. <laughs> As you watched you lock up your bike. Maybe they should have rented out more R-rated movies to underage kids. Maybe. And they'd still be in business. Maybe we should have had more conversations with you about R-rated movies as a child.
3: Anywho, this is the fun that that happens um, when, you know, you start to tell the stories of your childhood. Wait, we're not going to break. Yeah, we are. What am I doing? No, we are. Oh, we are. Uh, Because up next, (laughs) Susan Newman's going to be joining us. We're going to be talking about her book, Under One Roof Again. This is maybe what you do when your kids come back. Maybe that's when they should start filling you in on all of their their antics from childhood. This is the Matt Townsend Show helping you raise your family and uh, stay away from R-rated movies. Economic crises, social anxiety, and many other causes are contributing to kids and parents living together again as adults. According to a Pew Research study, one-third of 18 to 34-year-olds live with their parents. Shame and discomfort are often associated with it when, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. Joining us to talk about it is author and psychologist Susan Newman, who uh, is here to discuss one of her 15 books, Under One Roof Again, All Grown Up and Relearning to Live Together Happily. Susan, thank you so much for being with us today. Happy to be here. This is uh, this this is a big deal. More and more kids coming home to live with parents, sometimes parents going to live with adult kids. Uh Is it really as big of a deal as we're hearing?
0: Uh, Absolutely. It's a bigger deal than um, people realize. There are over 60 million um, multi-generation households, and half of those are parents living with their young adult children or young adult children coming back home. Oh, wow. You know, that's the 18 to 30 year olds yeah. that you mentioned. I mean, that's a bigger number. You know, we always think about boomerang parents coming to live with their adult children. Yeah. That number is much smaller now. It's really um, the, the young adults going home after college or after a job loss or after. Um, a divorce is um, a much bigger segment of this population, and for a lot of good reasons, I think.
3: Yeah, talk about those reasons. What 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 are the causes of them coming home? What's happening, and then what what kind of tension is it creating?
0: Well, what what's happened? The economy is one of the reasons. It's very hard for young adults to um, find jobs. At their educational level, there a lot of them are underemployed. They have, uh, if they've gone to college, they have debt, um, student loans to pay back. Um, So you know, those are two big reasons why. And and but you know, one of the reasons you know beyond oh, and high rents. You know, the cost of rents if you want to live on your own are astronomical these days you know particularly if you're in a major metropolitan area but i think there's an underlying reason that you i don't know how old you are but i'm old enough to have been raised by rather authoritarian kinds of parents who said you we didn't question our parents this is the way you did it and they had the last word right but this generation of kids now in the eighteen to thirty-year-old, thirty-five-year-old group, have been raised in a much more democratic family for the most part. I mean, obviously there's exceptions, right? Um, so that coming home is not um, as uh, negative a thought as it was before. Nor is it within the bigger picture of society so negative because, you know, it used to be in the 50s, 60s, even 70s, when an adult child or a college graduate came home, people said, what the parents do wrong? Right. What's wrong with that kid? Why can't she, he or she go off and, you know, get a job? Um, so the the... Culture in general has you know, changed their view. It's now more than acceptable to come home.
3: Because we I mean, we see other countries or other cultures in Asia, Japan, the Japanese, um, where multigenerational living is kind of the norm. Uh, even in other villages and places, Italy, other places, it's it's pretty common to to have three, two or three generations in, underneath a roof. But yeah, in the United States, it seems like historically it was a failure, and that, and then I, I didn't even think about just the the, the parenting style of authoritarian um, versus democratic. Do, do you notice that? that sometimes um, the parents, when the kids come home, they try to parent them like they're teenagers instead of parenting them like they're adults.
0: Yeah, I mean, of of all the issues that can come up, the um, slipping back into your parent role or your 10-year-old self if you're the adult child, that's the biggest trap. That families or hurdle that families have to get over, um, because it's so easy to go back to when you were the parent and um, you were the child, mm. you know, and mom, mom or dad are dictating. Um, but if you can get over that hurdle, most everything else will work its way out.
3: How can we? How do we get over that? What are some? tools or rules that you set up, Susan, um, to help us not slip back into those roles and, and really to allow our child to keep growing e- even as they're living with us?
0: Well, some of the things you can do is pay attention to, if you're the parent, how often are you criticizing? How often are you giving orders? Um as a parent, you want to stop babying the baby who's now 20 years old or 25 years old. Um, and you want to watch out for, you know, are you manipulating your child? Uh, you know, for example, saying, oh, you're going out tonight? I thought you'd eat dinner with us. Mm. That kind of thing. Um, you know, those are some of the ways to make this arrangement really work. Um you also want to talk about the give and take, who's doing what. It it sounds kind of fundamental, but you want to sit down and say, okay, um, who's who's going to be in charge of mowing the lawn? Who's going to be in charge of groceries? Uh, We need some help cleaning this house you know in some families i mean this this sounds ridiculous but it so works if you make a list of all the things that have to get done around the house and say okay here's the list which things are you willing to do or don't mind doing mm. it it's almost like there's a card trick with the jacks kings queens and aces and if you shuffle them up and say they all go in one you know they get taken to the um police station and you put them in one corner, they all fall in all the Jacks are together, all the Queens and all the Kings cases. I mean, it's the same kind of thing. People like different things. So, you know, that helps. Um, you also want to respect your, respect each other's privacy and boundaries. Um, You know, if you have an adult child who's really messy and just drops his stuff all over the house, you know, it's your house if you're the parent. You can say, look, do whatever you want in your room, but you can't leave your stuff all over the house. Um, You can have, you know, as parents, because it's your house, you can have house rules about sleepovers, um, about socializing, about parties. Um that all that works. And on the flip side, the adult child can say, just stay out of my room.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Don't you know, don't pick up my laundry, don't try to clean it up. I will take care of it.
3: Is there is there a, a level um again, we're speaking with Susan Newman, who is the author of the book um, Under One Roof Again. And uh, you can find out more on her website, SusanNewman uh, PhD.com. But one of the things Susan I'm wondering is is there it seems like if if we if we're not careful we might um enable our children to not have to grow up also in this process where I'm still doing their laundry I'm they're still not learning to pay rent they're they're not necessarily progressing the job doesn't seem to be coming um you know they're they're playing video games is there what do we do to make sure we're not over enabling or enabling them to not have to grow up
0: hmm. well you know that that's been a big debate are we raising a generation of uh young adults who can't fend for themselves who can't take care of themselves um you know, one of the ways is, is to ask, you know, if your child has a part-time job to um, have some kind of monetary contribution. Um, another idea is to get, set up an exit plan. When your adult child first moves back in, say, okay, we're going we're to do this, you know, you can live here for six months. Of course, the exit plan will change if that child doesn't get a job, but that gives uh the adult child something to work towards, saying, "Oh, i'm going to be out on my own in six months you know and and I would say ninety nine point eight percent of parents are going to readjust that exit date, mm-hmm. but it gives them a direction, so that helps yeah. avoid the you know avoid doing things. Ask your child to contribute. Um, that helps you know, in some way. It doesn't have to be monetary. Um, adult children could can grocery shop. They can pick up the dry cleaning. They can cook dinner. They can help repair a broken fence. I mean, there's just a lot of things.
3: And it seems like their that... contributing would, would actually be good for their psyche, for their sense of of self-worth, you know, so that they don't have a weird guilt for, you know, mooching off of their parents.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely the mooching factor. Parents can start to feel taken advantage of, and young adults can feel as if they're back living with their parents and their parents are uh, you know, constantly uh, running their lives. And there's another point I want to make about this living together that I think is critical. Because your adult child's coming back, You can't, you know, many parents are thrilled with this idea, and they tend to give up their social lives mm. to be with their adult child. Oh, my son's going to be home tonight. I can't come to bridge or I can't go out to dinner and cancel plans. Um, You really want to avoid that as an adult parent because that child will leave at some point. Um, And that's just more of not helping your child become independent. And as an adult child, you don't want to be home all the time. Right. Build your own social life. Um, make new friends if all your friends from high school have disappeared, uh, that, that works. Um, you know, more critical is we all have quirks. Yeah. And I think, you know, particularly the adult children or recent college graduates, um, Things about parents drive their kids crazy, and that's when you want to say, wait, I've got such a good deal here. Yeah. I'm going to use my sense of humor about my mother who insists that every dish be dried and put in a cabinet. I'm just going to laugh at that, and I'll do it. You want to focus on the positives of your parent or of your adult child, and Stay away from the negatives, um, you know. And, and stop and ask yourself, you know, what's really important. Mm. Is it important that um, my parent has these odd oddities that drive me crazy, or is it more important that my parent is warm, loving, affectionate, and really supporting me? Yeah, I mean that's one of the features of this multi-generational living is family is your support system yeah they're who you they're who you turn to you know and it's not new it's uh, you know it's a throwback to uh, you know earlier times and other cultures which you mentioned and um, you can work the kinks out but these are you know other than your siblings the two most important people in your life
3: yeah and, and and it's almost like there's an inevitable uh, tension between parent and child, no matter what's, <laughs> what age we are. It's because generational gaps, quirkiness, uh, expectations. But it sounds like what I hear you saying is uh, a lot of planning, a lot of conversation. It seems like we need to be really – we need to have a plan. We need to – even if the plan is adjusting and changing, we want to at least be talking about it. It also seems like a great way that – Parents can can kind of show their kids they believe in them, help them with their dream, help them get on their feet, but then there's the demand and there has to be some progress being made in this process, it seems like, or uh, one side might start to to question. The idea that this could be permanent might, might scare some of us.
0: Um, Some of us might be terrified. When my son was thinking of coming home, I was going, oh, no, I'm going to have to adjust my life. Yeah. That's exactly what you don't want to do. Right. Uh, If parents are supportive, the kids will flourish because they don't want to be there forever. Right. And you want to tell you when you think as an adult child, oh, this is not such a good situation what's really happening is you're living together as people not as parent and child i mean that's the goal and you you learn to enjoy each other you learn things about your parents you never knew because when you were younger they were so busy giving you directions Mm -hmm. uh so that's that's a huge advantage um You know, these revelations of coming together, um, the surprising things you learn uh, bring you closer together.
3: Yeah, and then helping and and having a way, I guess, too, of of motivating each other, supporting each other. I mean, I think, too, it could actually set up for a really powerful future down the road when all of a sudden we also get – Uh, where the game or the whole thing might have a reversal. And now I need to go live with somebody uh, as I get older. So it's powerful stuff, Susan. We appreciate your time. Again, Susan Newman is her name. The name of the book is Under One Roof. Again, you can find out more about Susan by going to her website, SusanNewmanPhD.com. SusanNewmanPhD.com. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be doing a little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you love stronger and lead healthier, happier lives.
1: Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach.
5: Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner.
3: Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, life happens, right? Things happen, and it makes it so we can't always you know, expect things to go the way you would have wanted them to go. Uh, kids might have to move home. Economic situations, the degree that they were trying to obtain— um, it wasn't a degree necessarily that they could make the money they need to make uh, other issues, medical issues, health issues, psychological issues. There's a, a lot of reasons why we may need to look to go back home. And so one of the things I would uh, suggest, I think, to all of us is, A, let's all judge a lot less those situations because we don't know why our neighbor's kids are still living at home. But one of the things I know that we can do is, and, and I'm noticing it with my own children, I have uh, six kids, a daughter and five boys. And the daughters, she went to school, got married, moved on, has a house, doing her thing, growing in a healthy way. My, all my kids are, are at it. They're out doing the things that they're supposed to do, trying to figure out life one is away at college um and one just got home from an LDS mission but what is amazing to me is i is the level of parenting that you still are doing with these kids as even as you've thought you launched them you know i think we a lot of us think that once we just kind of shoot them out into the world they're not going to boomerang back but The reality is my role as a father doesn't end. I can keep teaching more and more and giving other ideas and other information. And I'm just grateful that they're willing to come back to ask for help, for advice, for insight, because it allows me to keep influencing them. And one of the things I'm realizing is, oh boy, I wish I had maybe taught them some more things when they were younger. I wish I had set some better expectations about life and how things work when they were younger. So remember that um, if, if you don't teach them younger, you're going to get a chance probably to teach them when they're older. And so maybe let's spend more time trying to empower our kids. I always just think of the... The birds that like take their little cute little baby bird and just push them out of the nest, and that bird better be ready to fly because it's it's time to fly um and there's a difference between I think abandoning our kids and just throwing them out into the world and hoping they can make it versus truly empowering them. So what if we all spend a little more time with our our kids making sure that they have the skills to to uh, to work? that they have a work ethic. So they they understand that they have to get up every day and go make something happen to to not just let them only have dreams, but also have the skills to make a dream become a reality because they know how to make a plan. They know how to set a goal. They know how to accomplish a goal. And um, there's a lot of tools. There's a lot of resources, I think, for all of us to be able to teach these things to our kids. There are a million books. One of the things I, I've also just noticed in my own life with my own family is a lot of us keep shooting for perfection when really a little progress is all we need. We don't need to have the highest degree of completion of everything we do when sometimes all we need is some progress on a goal. We, we don't need to um, have the perfect studio setup. I've been talking to my son about. What we need is just a doable, actionable setup that would make it so my son could start creating his music. And when we get too caught up in the perfection of wanting the perfect studio, it might be actually just a way to have an impediment from risking and doing what we need to do. Every single one of us have goals and dreams that, uh, that, that we want to accomplish. But be careful because when you think um, – when you think that it's just easy to go live on your own it's not it's a, it's overwhelming for some of these kids to to know how to do it to see how to do it and so there are benefits of like going to school or in our case having our son go on a mission where we know he can do it on his own he came home after 2 years and he he had gained weight he was healthy he knew how to exercise he knew how to take care of himself he still had his teeth which meant he brushed his teeth regularly. You know, all these things we were worried about, he could handle. Then we just take him to the next level and take him to the next level. I think each and every one of us as parents, it's, it's upon us to empower our, ch- our child, not just to abandon them, not just to send them on their way, but make sure that inside of each of our kids is the power to thrive and to succeed. And um, I think however we go about doing that when they're younger will influence their abilities as they're older and i think each and every one of us should make sure that our kids have the social skills they need the emotional skills and management skills they need to succeed in life that they have the intellectual abilities that they've either learned their kid their gifts and their talents and they're doing something toward what they're passionate and have gifts and talents around or that they're on the you know on their way to discover those things I think we need to make sure they're spiritually solid and strong, that they have some connection to a higher power, and they know how to connect into that power to find peace when uh, days and times get difficult. Um, I don't think we should just hope they just get married, and then they're out of your hair. I mean, you know how many times I work with people that just got married thinking that was the answer? but they didn't have any skills or tools or abilities or insight, and then they're supposed to go figure it all out with their spouse. I also don't think that we should avoid marriage either. We have way too many, I think, that are just afraid to go marry because it's different and it's hard. And I think a lot of that is because of us, we parents. We're we're the ones that have taught them that marriage is dangerous and scary and not quite what you thought it should be. So parents, we can do better. And uh, when when our children do need to come home, let's sit down, let's make a plan, knowing the plan will change, but let's get real and let's be talking about it. And let's be sharing your expectations, sharing your concerns and hearing their concerns. Let's give them enough freedom, but let's also give them some accountability as well. Anyway, just uh, insight from your uh, neighborhood coach, you know, just the guy sitting on the bus stop, Sitting at the bus stop with you. Dr. Matt here. Uh, We'll continue the journey straight ahead. More empty news. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the show. Which means uh, whenever you hear that music, it's time to go to the empty news segment where we have Jeffrey Liam Simpson, also known as the little uh, the little Italian boy that tried. To get a movie uh, in disguise.
4: You know, you mentioned earlier how you had some struggles this morning. No, no, no. You you were cons- you were convinced that you were driving behind an extraterrestrial, yes, right?
3: Yes, that had never been on Earth and had never driven through a construction zone. Right.
4: So that's kind of a daily occurrence for most people as we get stuck behind people that are slowed down for some reason, whether yeah. it's traffic or rubbernecking when there's an accident. Well, here, there may be another cause for cars slowing down. What? Um. So there was a woman who, this is told from her perspective, she was on her way to a former employer in Merino Valley, California, to pick up her W-2 forms when traffic started to slow for no reason. So, you know, she's probably yeah. thinking, oh, there's an accident. There's something going on up there. There's here. an alien up there. Sure. Um, she said she soon came to suspect that someone was in the road.
2: Hmm.
4: I looked closer and witnessed three guys jumping on a trampoline Without a care in the world. In the middle of the road. In the middle of the road.
1: <laughs> so there's
4: a video that shows the three guys jumping on the trampoline. Uh, their identities and motives for the stunt were unknown. But oh they looked boy. happy. And Come they were on. causing traffic.
3: Come on!
4: Yeah. I'm sure the uh, the looks and hor- or horns that they were getting were not happy ones. Yeah. No. Uh-uh. Yeah. Not good. Um, Here's another car-related one. Okay. It's funny. You know, we as guys often think, and I don't I don't know why I have to single out guys, but yeah. I think just we as car owners think that we can open up the hood of our car and understand, oh, yeah, that's the, uh, the radiator. Uh, the, yeah, the radiator's that's messed car- up. The
3: carburetor's all gummed
4: up. Yeah. If you mumble it, they yeah. it sounds like you know what you're talking about. Right. Um, you know, so you open up the hood, you think that you can solve the problem, and uh, it sometimes things are a little more complex, but sometimes they're pretty clear. What's the problem? <laughs> and that's the case here. A man who heard a strange sound coming from the engine of his car in Thailand took a look under the hood and came face to face with a king cobra. What? A King Cobra. Oh, that would be terrifying. The man said his Nissan was parked outside of his home overnight Wednesday, and he heard the noise uh, when he was preparing to drive to the store. The man said he popped open the hood and quickly slammed it shut again. When he came face to face with a 15 foot king cobra, <laughs> the cobra could have killed me. He said, "I opened the bonnet to look the bonnet yeah. to look down into the engine." Is that a car term that that's I'm unfamiliar the, that's with? That's
3: the term they use in like the UK
4: or Australia for the hood. No, I don't. Looked I thought maybe in Thailand they uh, wear yeah. bonnets over there. Yeah, I know. No. Uh, so to look down into the engine, I was about 12, it was about 12 inches from his face. It says What called local authorities who summed, who summoned snake catchers to the scene. The snake capture went smoothly and the snake will be safely released back into the wild. I don't know why they have to end the story that way because I'm not so sympathetic with things that could kill me. Well, especially when they're getting a free ride. But I guess the same thing could be said about us. Yeah. Well, by the way,
3: when I was in high school, we found a dead snake in the middle of the road, and we thought, "How fun would that be if we just took that dead snake and put it in people's cars?" Yeah, and we did that for about three days until the the snake started to deteriorate Hmm. and just was losing everything.
4: Did you have a good meal?
3: No, we had a
4: great laugh. So. I I uh, kind of spilled my guts this morning and had a little yeah. bit of a confessional that here on the of show. was kind embarrassing,
3: I thought. A little you, bit embarrassing.
4: Would you ever admit to stealing something? Did you steal something ever? Um, or are you the type of person, um, if you stole something, you'd, your guilt would outweigh your pleasure in stealing it, so you would return it and apologize? I don't remember stealing anything, but I remember being accused of stealing something. Okay. Well, there's a White Castle... Uh, in Indiana, and apparently somebody stole a $700 automatic napkin dispenser. Wow. But I don't know if he felt too guilty about it or he couldn't get it to work because he returned it with a note that said, sorry, I stole your napkin dispenser. Please don't press charges. (laughs) Yeah, and apparently uh, it wasn't a thought-out theft because there was a cord that was missing. Yeah, the, the, uh, the worker said, yeah, he left the cord here. The crime had not been especially well thought out. Most uh, of the group paid with credit cards, including the man who stole the napkin dispenser. Uh, so you got to think about these no, things. you got to think about it. Or you've just got to do the right thing and return it and hope that they don't press charges. Yeah,
3: and just do do a good thing.
4: I want an automatic napkin dispenser. You need one. Hey, we will uh, continue
3: the fun next hour. More uh, ideas to help you live longer, love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
0: Dr. Matt
2: Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
5: BYU Radio.
3: Good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday to you. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang's all gathered to help you celebrate your Thursday day. Thursday day. Which we like to call the day before Friday, which is the day before the weekend. That's what we like to call it, and so we're celebrating Thursday today. Also celebrating, by the way, um, uh, Matt pick up his blender day. Yes, and the uh, the lesser known holiday of Jeff telling the embarrassing stories of his childhood day. <laughs> I've got more. Most of them take place in junior high. Now, again, Jeff, the rule is you don't have to
4: share all of your most embarrassing stories. Have I told you the one about uh, me running away from a girl that wanted to ask me out? Also junior high? No. It sounds... (laughs) I think I have told that story before on the show.
3: It sounds fascinating. Oh, yeah. But I, I didn't consider... You didn't really physically run from her.
4: No, I literally ran from her. Oh, that's and you would think that's a good indicator. Maybe this guy is not all that interested, right? You'd think so, yeah. She ran after me. Hold on. How old were you? Oh, 12, 12 13. Well, we used to do that when we were like eight. We'd play yeah, but, like kissing tag. I and mean, it this
2: was just, is.
3: Try to get me. Oh, I'm slow.
4: It's that awkward period between, oh, all of a sudden I'm supposed to be really interested in girls, you know? Yeah. And you Whereas weren't. before, you know, everybody thinks that they have cooties and you just – you've got crushes on them, but you don't yeah. really know why. Yeah. Mm. So she ran after me nice. and uh, I hid in the bushes and I thought, oh, if I hide in here, she won't find me. Ran right up to me and asked me out again. <laughs> and I equated that to, oh, well, I, I can't go on a date with her because I'm not 16, right? Right. So I used that as my excuse. Sure, that's a great So one. I said – I would if I could, but I can't, so I won't. Wow. Hold on. uh, You actually use that as a line? I used that. So it's kind of a famous phrase that nobody ever utters. No. But I uttered it in that moment. Well, it's it's kind of juvenile. And she was utterly disappointed. Actually, she was more mad than disappointed. She stormed off, and uh, that was the end of her trying to ask me out. Boy. Another story brought to you by... Jeffrey Liam Simpson. So if you don't want to go out with somebody, just run.
3: I would if I could, but I can't, so I won't. It's a great line. <laughs> it's a great line. Some of the exciting stuff you learn on the show, uh, again, you're not going to learn this stuff on other shows. I don't care what they say. This only well, on our show. It's more learning what not to do. Yeah. Really. Uh by the way, that is the phrase I would if I could, but I can't say so that's a phrase I don't think I have heard since I was eight years old. <laughs> well, that's great. But you've
4: never heard anybody say it, but I actually said it. Yeah. Yeah.
3: It's good. You're a good man. You're a good man. Um if you notice Terry's being incredibly quiet, he's still trying to figure out uh he doesn't want to get into his stories of playing Kissing Tag and running hey, from girls. He's
4: he's reordering his tickets to Avengers Infinity War because they moved up the date. Mm. They That's, moved it a week earlier.
5: Yeah, I have to get on that. Haven't got those tickets yet.
4: By the way, you'll be fine. Uh, Rampage, the the movie starring The Rock, yep. also decided to move back their date because they want an extra week so that they can. Uh,
5: so it could still be horrible.
4: Yeah, I, I, I look at that and it's like,
5: really, this is an arcade game that is justifying a movie that has nothing to do with the arcade game. The video game, you're a monster. You're like a King Kong or a Godzilla type monster. You climb up a building. And you destroy the building. Right. That's the whole game. That's there's not a movie. Re- and so now they've made this entire two-hour movie out of that premise. Okay. And yet
4: we've seen movies where that basically is the premise. I mean, just think of any Transformers movie. They made a battleship movie.
5: Ooh, right? that is a great point. yeah. And there's really not much to the game to base a movie on, so of course they threw in aliens.
4: I never saw that, <laughs> but I would have been furious if I watched it and found out that they didn't say A-7. Or you
5: sunk my battleship. There's a point where it it goes it like goes out to like a satellite view, so you kind of see like a battleship sort of form. But they never say, "Hey, you sunk my battleship." That's never That's said cr- in the um, movie. Criminal. That's the
3: hey, whole point. Uh, speaking of battleships, <laughs> uh, Washington D.C. a lot of crazy stuff going on there. So let's get
4: to the headlines with Terry South. You noticed that Matt was incredibly quiet there. Yeah. So we kind of turned the tables on you there. Yeah. Yeah, um. We like to do it from time to time. Well, you nailed it. (laughs) You guys talking movies. Okay.
3: Uh, What you got for us, Terry?
5: Senior White House advisor Jared Kushner did not invite the U.S. ambassador to Mexico to join him in meetings with Mexico's prime uh, president and foreign minister. During a recent diplomatic trip, the New York Times reports, it was not immediately clear why Roberta S. Jacobson, a veteran diplomat with more than 30 years experience, was excluded from the meeting. She is one of the three. Uh, she's one of three of the State Department's top Latin America diplomats to announce her resignation recently, though she's still going to be at her post through May. The decision apparently excludes her. Uh, was widely seen as by experts as a break with tradition. that signals a change in the Trump administration's approach to dealing with Mexico. So we'll appoint ambassadors and not involve them in anything diplomatic. Apparently. Well, I guess what are they doing there? Just on vacation? They're trying. Well, the the ambassadors. Yeah. Apparently, I'm not sure. Seems the, like they're. You'd this be is frustrated. This by is that. a meeting they're supposed to be there to facilitate sure. the. You know. Negotiate. I mean, cause, I mean, at the point, the the Mexican uh, government was not going to visit the United States government for state level visits because of the whole wall thing. Right. They're trying to smooth that over, apparently. Yeah. But uh, yeah. What do okay. you going Okay. Well, Russia's military and inf- of uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs aired its grievance with the U.S. State Department in a snarky tweet Wednesday, imploring the American agency to calm down. It says your propaganda machine is out of control. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Russia wrote to Heather uh, Nauert, the uh, State Department spokesperson, uh, You're spamming all of us. The callout was in response to the spokesperson tweeting a video that accused Russia of ignoring a United Nations ceasefire vote in Syria and conducting 20 daily bombings in Damascus and southwestern Syria. Wow. So they're saying, calm down. You're spamming us all. Knock it off. Quit spamming. (laughs) They need that spamware. After the school shooting in Parkland, Florida, 638 copycat threats were reported from February 15th to February 27th. Really? So over, that's about a what, 12-day period? Yeah. According to USA Today, top states were Texas with 55, Ohio with 47, California with 37, Florida with 35, Pennsylvania with 32. Later today, uh, White House uh, will take the uh, their next steps, apparently, in school safety. Lindsay Walters, White House Deputy Press Secretary, says as we continue to work towards creating school safety programs that protect all children the president will be meeting with video game industry leaders and members of congress uh to discuss violent video game exposure and the correlation to aggression and desensitization desensitization in children desensitization yeah there you go of those kidlets this meeting will be the first in many with industry leaders to discuss this important issue yeah that's who it. who will all say that we make these games for the entire globe and this is the only country with this problem
1: yeah,
3: yeah, <laughs> we're that's we're different that way. <laughs> that's right. We're special.
5: Uh, state health officials are warning athletes from 39 states and nine countries that they may have been exposed to mumps at a cheerleading competition last month in Dallas. Uh oh. A person from another state who. Uh, had mumps travel to Dallas for the National Cheerleaders Association All Star National Championship. Texas Department of Health Services spokesperson said the department sent a letter to those who participated in the competition, which was from February 23rd to the 25th, um, to let each of them know that they or their children may have been exposed to the mumps. Oh, boy. In attendance, 23,655 athletes, 2,600 coaches, all part of 1,320 teams from 39 states and 9 countries. Whoops. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a lot of people
3: might have the mumps now.
5: Artificial intelligence is poised to enter yet another aspect of your life and that would be fast food. Uh-oh. After years of preparation a burger flipping robot named Flippy made its debut Monday <laughs> at the Pasadena, California location of the restaurant chain Caliburger. Burger, cre- Created by a tech startup Misu Robotics. Flippy is the first robotic chicken... Or k- chicken kitchen. Flippy is the first robotic kitchen assistant with artificial as- uh, assistance. The TechCrunch reports that Caliberger is planning to install Flippy in 50 more of its locations. Each one costs about 60 grand. The company has received $10 million in funding to bring Flippy to other restaurants and in late breaking news that's what I was looking at on my phone yeah. uh, the miso engineers plan to spend the next f- days a few days fine tuning flippy before bringing it back to the public on a limited basis flippy has worked for 5 days and has taken a day off
3: Sounds See, like a congressman.
5: Ugh. Now isn't this not what President Trump would be striving yeah. for? Yeah, this is the other way on the jobs program? Yeah.
3: But you know, there's people behind Flippy making yep.
5: Flippies. They're gonna have to
4: repair him, I guess.
3: Yeah, yeah that's they call that guy Repairy.
4: Yeah, <laughs> Flippy.
3: Yeah, and then there's you know, uh, Lubin Oily.
4: No, he'd be Fixy. Fixie would be the Fixie would be the yeah.
3: fixer, and then there's the Lubin Oiler, Luby. Luby.
5: <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
3: Yeah, that's that, that's the idea. Yeah, there's other
5: people involved in there that aren't going to be the person flipping the burger.
3: I think if they really want to be taken seriously, they got to name it something else. Burgeromatic.
5: Mm. Flipatron Five Thousand. The Terminator.
3: The can
4: you, can you imagine the hazing that Flippy's going through right now at work? Oh uh, yeah.
3: And by the way, I think Flippy. If I if I saw the right thing, it's just a robotic
2: arm.
5: It's just an arm. It's not even hardly an arm. It's, it's just a... It's a conveyor belt. that's holding a
4: spatula. It just flips. Oh, I yeah. thought you meant maybe like they were attaching the robotic arm to an armless
5: man. No. See, now that a, way... Just a machine. Somebody be, could actually
3: get paid. They actually have that. That's the bionic flippy.
5: Hmm.
3: Not as popular.
5: And finally, Netflix has made some other announcements this week. They make announcements constantly yes. because there's always shows premiering. There's right. always new things. Uh, seventy percent of its streams end up on connected TVs instead of phones, tablets, or PCs. Seventy percent of its streams are on connected TVs. Yeah, not on phones or tablets really? or computers. I people did are watching not. them on TVs. That's
4: surprising. That's, That's where very I watch like it. Surprising.
5: I don't want to watch it on my phone or anything else because it just it seems too yeah. small.
4: I don't watch it while I'm driving. I usually watch it on my phone because I can only ever watch about ten or fifteen minutes at a time. So yeah. it's usually when I'm on the go.
5: Now, they're saying that number is not a shock. Well, it's always, was to it to us. It, well, yeah, that's so I'm saying. They're, they're like, it's not a shock. And they go, really? But it's a good reminder that not everything is moving to the phone. YouTube said its live TV service, which it had pitched as a mobile-first offering, was generating more than half of its streams on televisions. Interesting. So that could be interesting, interesting there. Uh, so Netflix also has made some improvements to its parental controls. This is for you, Matt, so your wife can help you make the right you know, I'm trying to figure out choices. how to do those mm-hmm. controls. Okay. Netflix' newest update gives parents more granular control over the content their kids watch. They can now set custom PIN numbers... For specific movies and tv shows regardless of age recommendations so if you think moana is an appropriate for your 10 year old you can lock that movie down with can we a lock number can we lock down the emoji movie please you can lock down anything you want okay thank you parents can already be uh, set broad pin protections that lock up content for specific maturity levels oh, i read boy. that paragraph and went, you can't so i went in and looked and my kids uh, he has his own separate account so i don't yeah. have to watch all the or I don't have to have all the cartoons recommended to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, there's some that I'd probably want to watch, but most not really. You know,
3: yeah, probably, I mean, you're, pro- you're probably out of most of those.
5: Right. Voltron, I'm on board.
2: Oh,
3: boy.
5: Whatever bat thing he's watching now, I, I looked at it, eh, whatever. But um, I went in and said <laughs> it. He was set for all maturity levels. Yeah. And I said it to uh, older kids and younger Right, so okay. they're looking yeah. under ten, basically, yeah. is what that one is. There's one for like teens and younger, and uh, then there's yeah. all maturity levels. So you can set, you know, have some some control that way. And I, I went in and looked at all the recommendations they're making for him, and there's not there's probably like one that I would watch. So it's good. He's got or some one, good recommendations. Really yeah. One that you would admit that you would watch. I just wanted to make sure, like some of the uh, the anime type uh, programs that are out there. They're basically like adult animated type shows. Mm. He doesn't need to see those. You don't see all the ninja movies. Well, many would say many don't need to see those. Says the company also says it's going to display these maturity levels at the start of each program so parents are fully aware of what their kids are consuming on the outset of each show. That's good. That feature will roll out in the coming months. It's really
2: good.
4: See? Now you got me terrified that I'm just going to walk in, because there are times when my kids are just alone in the TV room by themselves, that I'm going to walk in and they're going to be watching something they shouldn't be watching.
3: No, but your children wouldn't do that. They wouldn't? No, because remember, you watched a show with them that was a very benign <laughs> show, and they were
4: terrified. Are you talking about uh, Jumanji? Was it Jumanji? Like, they, they're they still traumatized. Jumanji the original Jumanji was the one where I you know we I was making it a whole night I went out and got pizza we put out the picnic blanket and everything yeah and we didn't even make it past the drums and the sounds of bats coming down the chimney they didn 't have to see anything they were covering their eyes yeah. turn Beautiful. it off turn it off turn it off I turned it off deleted it from the DVR my my <laughs> six year old at the time was five I believe she removes her hands from her eyes looks at me terrified and says
3: why would you show that to us that's when that's the day by the way that will be the day that goes down in infamy that will be the day that you know you ruined your children
5: yeah at least you can put your thumb on it at least and go,
3: you know. that's the day yeah, that's you know the day.
4: comparing the two jumanjis they would probably be more okay with the new jumanji cause, which was not scary in the least right versus the old jumanji yeah hmm. so
3: i mean maybe maybe that's what you could be doing
4: Watching showing, Jumanji showing, with them?
3: Showing the new Jumanji. Okay. See how that goes. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Terry takes care of the headlines. Let's get to Jeff with some empty news. Any other uh, empty news facts we need to be paying attention to?
4: We sure do have some more empty news that we could be paying attention to. Um, oh,
7: six Say it. times. Say it. Don't be afraid. Six
4: times escaping from prison. That's probably too many times, right? Yeah. It's. I don't know. It's... Four times too many. <laughs> and there's... So this is actually... They're still looking for this guy. Police are looking for an inmate who escaped from custody for the sixth time wow. in Bedford County, Come on. Tennessee. Come on. According to the Bedford County Sheriff's Office, Philip Andrew Marshall's latest escape happened sometime before 5 a.m. Monday. Sheriff Austin Swing said Marshall Swing? escaped through a ventilation shaft at the jail. Oh, boy. But official... I always wonder how people can escape through a ventilation shaft. Don't you hear people no, moving careful. around? We've no. had so many stories with people yeah. trying to squeeze their way through ventilation shafts, and they get stuck, and Shik always ends up interviewing them before the cops arrive. Right. Uh, officials are still trying to determine how he cut through the grate. Deputies spent the day searching for Marshall, and he was spotted Monday morning, but the deputy who saw him was more than 200 yards away and unable to catch him. Sounds like a Pokemon or something. <laughs> uh, authorities believe Marshall is now wearing jeans and a dark blue shirt or sweatshirt and enjoys long walks on the beach. <laughs> Since the last jail escape, we, the Bedford County Sheriff's Department, have made some changes in our personnel, said Swing. So basically they fired people. Yeah. We have implemented new training and more training. We have reinforced the places where they have escaped before uh, before, and anywhere we think they could escape. Still, he escaped. <laughs> he still <laughs> got away. And so all of our efforts failed. Uh. Marshall had only been in jail for a month Since his latest escape in January. This guy, you know what they need to do? What? They need to, okay, the next time they catch him. They need to they need to have him be like the next catch me if you can guy where they hire him to work for them instead of just keep letting him, you know, tying up the prison system, or, you know, yeah. tying up all the funds in the prison system. Just get him out of prison, ha- give him a job, have him come work That's for exactly the prison system what I was thinking. so he can help them figure out how to not uh have people escape. They have obviously got an escape problem. Yeah. Six times is you said it was four or five times too many. Four yeah. We'll give we'll let them have two or three. I mean, two After, or three escapes. Yeah.
3: But you got to honestly what a tenacious
4: guy. I'm telling you they ought to hire this guy to tell them how He cares. not to escape. He cares about the system. Yeah. Um $100,000 for a bathroom. Is that does that seem like a lot? I mean, is this you, just is this to own it
3: or just to use it?
4: I think as a guy, I have no concept of how much a kitchen costs or how much it costs to remodel a bathroom. yeah, but hundred thousand dollars for a bathroom does that seem excessive? How, can it all be done in a day? Well we're not talking about hours. we're not talking about timelines. we're just talking do you think hundred thousand dollars is too much for a bathroom? Um, is there a bidet? Let me give you some more details, and you can tell me if you think it's too much. Okay. So this is in Massachusetts. Massachusetts transportation officials are under fire for authorizing a no-bid contract for a tiny $100,000 bathroom inside a state official or a state office building. What? The 115-square-foot bathroom and adjoining kitchenette. Yeah. Was installed last year at the state transportation building. The project was fast tracked and not put out to bid, which is usually done for state projects to make contractors compete for the work and keep it keeps the cost down, right? Yeah. So, Greg Sullivan, a former, emphasize former state inspector general, <laughs> called the co- oh the cost outrageous. The bathroom is about forty steps from a, sta- a spacious public bathroom on the same floor. Spokesman for the Transportation Department says board members are sometimes followed to that bathroom by reporters during public meetings. I Don't you hate it when reporters are trying to interview you oh, while you're trying to use honestly. the facilities?
3: You know what I do? I just keep flushing because <laughs> the, then you ruin the audio.
4: They can't use that. That is unusable. Totally. Right. Just flush, flush, flush. So $100,000, too much for yeah, a 100-square-foot bathroom yeah. with a kitchenette. Way too much.
5: That's right down the way from another bathroom.
4: Yeah. Too much.
5: Does the kitchenette have a uh, microwave? Crockpot, maybe? Mm. Hmm. Why,
4: well, are you planning a meal?
5: I don't know. I mean, if they had that, maybe the amenities would allow the price to be more reasonable.
4: I don't know about you, but I would. I prefer my food to not be prepared in, let's say, uh, a toilet. Right. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I think that's a great point. Uh, for some reason, you, Terry, got the giggles. Yeah, we can't too.
4: talk about it, but we will.
3: Okay. so um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we can't talk about it, but just know that we will be talking about something that gave Terry the giggles yes. sometime in the future.
4: Do we have time for one more? Sure. Mm, you didn't sound so sure, but I'll do it anyway. The feeding habits of a Cooper's hawk may fascinate bird watchers, but employees of a New York bank are fed up. Fed up. The feathery remnants of slaughtered pigeons. Oh, I thought people in New York wanted to get rid of pigeons. You would think that this is, would be a good thing. Not like this. Okay. A hawk has been killing and devouring pigeons near the entrance to m and Bank in suburban Syracuse for several weeks. Yeah. Property manager Joseph Mathlin says the Syracuse Post Standard uh, tells the, the, the news outlet that bank staff are terrified and disgusted. <laughs> mathlin says the bank tried putting up a fake owl to shoo the hawk away it was, i think it was the tootsie roll yeah and it didn't really work it always is uh jake mcgowan of the cornell lab of uh ornithology says the hawk probably won't care about the owl but its pigeon prey might be scared off colorful crow-sized cooper hawks Have become common in cities and suburbs where flocks of pigeons and bird feeder visitors make easy pickings. (laughs) Okay, yeah, I I don't, I don't see why New Yorkers would complain about this.
5: They're in Syracuse. It's a little okay. It's 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 different. Little nicer. Yeah. Okay. I mean,
4: just different. See, to me, if you want to get rid of, a lot of people would call pigeons vermin. I guess if you want to get rid of the pigeons, why would you care about the method?
5: It's more the location. Okay. Right it's all outside about loca- your front door. It's Are what, you a
4: realtor? Location, what, location, yes. location? what people have to see go hmm. through. They want to get
3: rid of them. They don't want to watch it happen. So
4: basically, so. you're okay eating a burger or a chicken. You just don't want to see how it's done.
3: I don't even mind seeing how it's done. I just don't want to see it out my front window. <laughs> <laughs> if, we, if I have to like drive to some barn somewhere in the back 90 or whatever they call it, Okay, I'll do that. Anyway, uh, interesting insight. (laughs) Thank you for those great lessons. We will continue the journey more straight ahead. We'll be talking about how to build a great relationship with yourself. This is the Matt Townsend Show. It is so easy when bad things happen in life to blame your circumstances. Maybe you grew up in a broken home or lost a job or you're in a foreign country and you use those excuses every time something bad happens. But maybe life isn't fair about external circumstances. Van Moody, author of the book The I Factor, says the key to life, uh, the key to the life you want is inside of you. He teaches how to understand our identity, significance and perspective better and uh how we can better manage ourselves and our whole lives as well. Uh I had a chance recently to talk to Van Moody if um and I wanted to share this conversation with you about how bad relationships uh, actually can help people.
1: Absolutely. And that's why I'm so excited about the I Factor. And uh, I know that beyond a doubt, this is a message in a book for the world because you're right. Um, often the biggest challenge for individuals um, is not external, but it's internal. And that's what the I Factor is about. And I realized uh, through all of the years of me working with people and working with leaders and even working with businesses that often it is not the external that is the biggest challenge. We've seen the history. Uh, The recent history and uh, just days gone by and stories that are uh, just too many to to count of Mm. people who had great opportunities, people who had great pedigrees and degrees and great, uh, really, talent, but they crashed and burned or they did not really live the life they were called to live because they did not manage themselves well. And that's, that's what the I factor is, and the message is really calling people to get healthy, and to live their best life from the inside out, because Matt's success on any level is an inside job. Oh
2: yeah,
3: and you've you've got so much experience with it. You're a pastor of the Worship Center in Birmingham, Alabama. You're on Joel Osteen's um, Champions Network. You're on Doctor Oz's Core Team. You've you've worked with John Maxwell. You're doing it all. You see th- this self-esteem. It's almost this I, this just this lack of knowing who we are. In your book, I Factor. What, what is the I factor?
1: Sure. Um, the I factor is how people think about themselves, feel about themselves, and even relate to themselves. The I factor is a combination of dynamics that converge to form the totality of a person's relationship with him or herself. When I talk about the I factor, a lot of people think, well, is it initially the same thing as self-worth or self-esteem or self-respect? Uh, and I, I absolutely want people to understand that that it goes beyond that. It goes beyond character and motives. It goes beyond a sense of self-esteem. But it has everything to do with the person's relationship with themselves. And it's really about managing yourself and your whole life well from the inside out. And so it is absolutely imperative that we make sure that our I-factor is healthy because everything that we do flows out of whether or not we have a healthy or a negative I factor
3: where do we where do we get this I factor are some born with it are they just naturally self-believing self-directed um, or do they is it is it how we're parented how, how do we come about this I factor
1: well everybody has it but you know how your eye factor is set up and how it evolves over time as you grow is really determined by a number of factors. It's the environment you were in. It's the kind of household that you were raised in. It's the experiences that you've had. And all of those things will either color our I-factor for the better or continue us down a path of having a negative I-factor. And so uh, in the book, one of the things that I help people to understand is regardless of where you are on your I-factor journey, the Formula to having a successful and healthy eye factor really revolves around three things your sense of identity, uh, your sense of significance, and your perspective. And so, when you know who you are, and that's what I mean when I talk about your identity, that really fuels everything because your identity is the foundation of everything. When you understand your significance, then you take the next step. When uh, because significance is about getting in touch with your purpose and the greatness for which you were created. But then the next big step is your perspective. Uh, perspective is about the set of lenses through which you look at life because when you have a healthy perspective, you can view the problems you face as stepping stones for greatness instead of stumbling blocks. Hmm. And that's significant, Matt, because I wish that you know all of us could wave a magic wand and remove the challenges of life, but you and I both know that that's not possible. No. And so it is not about living a flawless or mistake-free life, but it is about being able to use those mistakes and hurdles and obstacles as stepping stones instead of stumbling blocks. And that's all in your perspective. You can send two people through the exact same situation, and one of them will come out better, while the other comes out bitter. And it has nothing to do with the situation, and has everything to do with your perspective. Mm. Because, uh, and that's that's a big one for people.
3: Yeah, well, and you can see. So, is this, so the lack of identity, the lack of understanding your significance or your purpose, or having a perspective that's a little warped, is that what leads to people that self-sabotage, people that don't try, that give up too early?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. The recipe uh, for a number of individuals that have uh, not fulfilled their purpose, that have self-sabotaged, that have not reached their dreams and their goals is all the same, regardless of whether they are a celebrity or whether they are a stay-at-home mom. What they do in terms of their station of life doesn't matter. The recipe uh, for that self-sabotage and those stumbling blocks are the same, and it's a lack of understanding who they are. It's a lack of having a great sense of significance, and it is not having the right perspective through which they look at the challenges that they've had to endure.
3: It's not your position, then, right? I mean, because you could be—I could see a, a woman that's raising her family, a housewife that that can feel like she knows her identity, she has a purpose, her perspective, and, and it creates a sense of power in her. I could also see someone in the same position, um, and they and they feel like they're not amounting to anything, they're not contributing. So, I, I guess it doesn't matter your role; it matters really your how you're oriented.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the biggest things that I want people to understand about the I-Factor message. And I do my best in the book to really uh, make it clear because obviously I talk about celebrities that have suffered because of I-Factor issues, but then also tell a number of stories uh, of regular everyday people who've also had the same struggles because you're right. It has nothing to do with your position. And I, I want people to understand that because the way that the world is set up is that the world informs us to really focus on our outside. And so, so many people go through life and they think that the measure of success has everything to do with their external position or their external station in life. Uh, But what I want people to understand is that you could have the best position or you could have a fulfilling position, but your ability to navigate through it successfully has nothing to do with how much money you have and has nothing to do with the external factors that a lot of people in the world... Uh, focus on. It has everything to do with those internal dynamics. One of the stories that I'm most proud of and that I love to share when I talk about this I Factor message is the story of the Titanic, because I think that the Titanic story is a great picture and antidote for how people um, approach life. You know, many of us know the Titanic. It was that majestic ship, it was decked out with uh, all of the finest luxuries that its travelers could have wanted at that time it was a marvel of shipbuilding of that day it was called unsinkable but we know that the Titanic did sink because it hit an iceberg and I did a lot of research on that iceberg and it was about 600 feet long but 500 feet of it was beneath the surface Mm. so what I want people to understand is that what sunk the Titanic is not the little piece of the iceberg that they saw above the water it was the enormity of the iceberg that they couldn't see beneath the water And that's the same thing that sinks us in our own lives. So many people, Matt, go through life like the Titanic. We focus only on the external. But what ends up sinking and sabotaging our life are those underneath the surface uh, kind of unknown internal I-factor dynamics that a lot of times we don't focus on. And those are the things that determine whether we sink or swell through life. And so that's why the I-factor message is so important for children, for parents, for corporate CEOs, for college students, uh, any walk of life where you find yourself, this I-Factor message is a, is a necessary message. What
3: do you say to the person who's already lacking probably some I-Factor, um, and then you, you're telling them, hey, it's in you, man, it's in you, I'm assuming you get some pushback. Like, don't blame me for my life. I had no parents at home, or I was raised in the inner city or whatever. What do you, what do you say?
1: Sure. One of the most important things that I want them to understand is that me calling attention to this issue of the eye factor is not for blame, but it's for growth. And so you cannot conquer anything that you won't confront. And so when individuals say, well, you know, it's my my upbringing and uh, it's the lack of things and access that I had, I want to challenge people to move beyond uh, blaming. I want them to move beyond excusing and let's confront it. Uh, and then let's confront it so that we can conquer it. The other thing that I want them to understand is that this message of the I-factor and calling people to go inside first before they focus on the external is not an excuse to live a self-absorbed, selfish life. Yeah. There are a lot of people who say, well, you know what, that's great because I'm just going to you know, focus on me and do life on my own terms. And I say, no, wait a minute. The whole point of the I-factor message is to make sure that we adequately move through the two greatest tasks in life. The first task is to find yourself. And then the second great task of life is to lose yourself. The challenge for a lot of individuals is that we like to jump to that second task of losing ourselves and making a difference in the lives of others in whatever capacity you know that we're called. If it's motherhood, if it's uh, an area that we serve in corporate America, if it's giving back. But you cannot do that effectively without first finding yourself. And that's what the I-Factor message is about. Not about living a selfish, selfish self-absorbed life, but making sure that first internally you're healthy so that externally you can make the difference. And let me tell you why this is so important, Matt, because we don't reproduce what we say. We only reproduce who we are. Mm. And that's important for people because I've met with a lot of frustrated individuals who say, you know, I'm telling my family that this is the way I want things to be or I'm trying to... Tell my employees that this is the way the company needs to run and it's not happening. And it's because the biggest message is you don't reproduce what you say. You only reproduce who you are. And so real lasting change is only going to come from the inside out. And so if we can get healthy internally, then it affects everybody that we do life with and that we're connected to. Yeah.
3: That is powerful, is it uh how much of this comes from your influence uh as a pastor in and using the Bible?
1: Well, it definitely comes I from i mean
3: because that. That you're one you're one basically one. describing the law of the harvest, right? you reap what you sow absolutely, yeah, that's beautiful absolutely.
1: well, it, you know it's the law of the harvest, but it also is modeled by Jesus Christ, yeah, when you think about all of the encounters that Jesus had with people, one of my favorite is when he goes to the house of Peter early on after uh, Peter kind of joins uh, uh, the group as a disciple, he goes to Peter's house, and Peter's mother is sick. And mm-hmm. Jesus heals her, and then she turns right around and begins to serve them. And you see that pattern. You see it with the demon-possessed man. You see it over and over and over again. Well, Well, first the healing is internal, and then it flows into the external relationships that we have with others. And so that is that paradigm. I really believe that God wants people to get healthy internally first, uh, because we are the common denominator in any and every relationship, in any and every encounter. And if we can be healthy first, then it does normally and naturally flow outward. Yeah, And I, that's how we're going to change the world for the better and impact lives in a great way.
3: In fact, there, there's a quote uh, somewhere, uh, the world tries to take the people out of the slums, God tries to take the slums out of the people. That's Absolutely. that inside-out approach you're talking about.
1: Absolutely. And without... The slums or the struggles or the challenges being held first, healed first internally, we'll take that wherever we go.
3: Mm. That's such a great message, and especially um, this time of year too, this time of season and and a lot of people are gonna have maybe a week or two off, maybe a few days to think. Um, what would you suggest if are some of the things we can do today? uh to to make sure we we take hold of i mean go go buy the book the i factor, what else can we do to get into our own identity, significance, and perspective?
1: Sure, well, obviously, you said it best, go get the book you know um, but then the other thing is if they go to ifactorbook.com, dot com there is a free assessment uh, that is really fun, um not as intense as a myers Briggs or disk profile, but very similar in that. They can take it in about five to seven minutes. It's absolutely free. And that will give people a great marker of where they are right Right. now on the I-Factor journey. And then, you know, once they get the book, uh, there are simple steps and lessons that I give them that over the holidays people can begin to walk through as they begin the year or just, you know, regular time as they are doing life and have a little bit of time to read or if they read before bed, wherever they find themselves with the book, they can begin to take those simple steps. And one of the most important steps is to realize that their who is not their do. And that is really the first step to discovering your real identity. A lot of people get the the why question, right, which is your purpose, which is, you know, why on earth am I here? I want to live my best life, and I want to do it according to my purpose. But before you can answer the why question, you first got to answer the who question. And I talk about the importance of peeling the onion because a lot of people, Matt, think that their identity is based on what they do, mm-hmm. and that's not the case. And so the first step is to understand that you're who is not your do. and in the book I give simple steps to really get to the core of who you really are, and everything flows from there.
3: Oh, I love it. Beautiful stuff. Van Moody is his name. Go check out the website, ifactorbook.com, where you can take that assessment and get started on that journey. Uh, before you can answer the why question You've got to answer the who Who are you? Why are you here on this earth? What are you here to do To learn To bring to this world And are you doing it? Maybe that's one of the reasons Happiness eludes us Is because we don't know who we are We don't Without knowing who we are We don't know what to do Right? We don't know why we're doing certain things Power Power The power of the I factor This is the Matt Townsend Show Stick with us Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, it's time to head down to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Uh, today, it's Spencer and Jason. Jerem, apparently, they, they left in Vegas. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Jerem didn't make it out of Vegas. <laughs> That's the problem. And the, we can't even talk about it because what, what we leave in Vegas, we have to we can't talk about.
8: I oh, understand. no, trust me. Um that rule doesn't apply to me when it's about Jerem Jordan. Oh, cool. So this... Anything you want to know, Matt. <laughs> yeah, this like... is exciting.
3: Well, his family was there, so I'm assuming they're they they are walking him out of Vegas.
8: Uh well, fun fact mm. he is with family, but he is not with his wife and daughter Venna. Oh. I ran into them at Smith's in Springville. Yesterday, when I stopped
6: to get some groceries, Jerem's partying at spring training baseball in Arizona. Now he was Holy at the Mariners spring training game last night, and then rubbed it in all of our faces by tweeting out a pick. He uh,
8: he does no no this no, a Jason lot. he's this is this is business and personal because he met up with former BYU baseball mm. player Adam Law. So technically that oh, fits within the realm of his job responsibility. Keeping right? up with the Cougars, if yes, you will. Yes, whatever.
3: Whatever. So okay, that's interesting. Um, You guys, it's got to be kind of exhausting to come home. You've been talking basketball like crazy. We're now waiting for the big, uh, you know, NCAA what brackets to come out. What What do you guys? What do you do now? What, What What sports do you even care about right now? Well, we speculate, Matt, because the NCAA tournament brackets come
8: out, and guess what? Even what? your grandma is interested to fill out a bracket, Matt.
3: My, my grandma's passed.
8: Um, even your mom wants to fill out a bracket, Matt.
3: You're right there. This my mom very loves awkward, very quickly. bracketology. <laughs> <laughs> when you say bracketology, my mom perks right up.
6: Well, and she'll probably win the bracket this <laughs> that's year. That's true. This, she, is, this is the time of year where people who've never heard of Joe Lenardi get to know him personally because his name is mentioned all the time. Because
3: he's the bracketologist. He is the, the bracketologist.
6: bracketologist.
3: Oh, that's cool. So, So you guys really, you don't even take a break. You don't even take a day off or two days off. You are immediately already thinking about how the lineup's going to be.
8: Well, that's because we now have answers. You have Mm. to wait until the conference tournament is over to really know what's going to happen, at least specific to the West Coast Conference, and more notably, BYU. And it would appear BYU is headed for an NIT game, but will it be at home? Mm. Will the NIT grant BYU the opportunity to host? And I think they will because they want to sell a
3: bunch of tickets. So... (laughs) We wait and find out. This is exciting. Um, and by the way, were you able to get any more out of Tom Holmo? Because he's on the committee, right? For, yep. And so did, did, he, did he tip his hand? Did he say, hey, I'm pushing it this way, guys?
6: No, he he did not. Okay. Did you is he even that? allowed to vote on BYU? He's not, correct? No, I don't, no. He, does, he cannot have anything he, to do with the BYUs. He cannot and, cover. They're assigned conferences.
8: Yeah. Each of the uh, members of the committee are assigned specific conferences that they watch a bunch of games in they're encouraged to watch as much basketball as possible but you're the Big you, 10 correct the Big 10 and oh, I'm trying to think of the other small conference in the east that he's been assigned to the Miac mm, I believe okay Miac yeah yeah that's what i do when i think of it yeah. Miac anyway you cannot cover the conference or your team in any capacity when it comes to determining their eligibility for uh, NCAA inclusion in March Madness. However, it doesn't mean you can't posture outside of
6: the room. You just can't do it inside the room. Oh, interesting.
8: Like, you can't, like, hey, do you watch the Cougars play last night? They hey, killed was a, it was a
6: nice win over St. Mary's, I'm <laughs> just saying. Pretty
8: good. Pretty wink, good. Wink, wink. Yeah, okay. like... <laughs> Come on, you better
3: believe that happens. That's really good. Okay, now we're learning a lot about Tom Holmo, even though uh, none of that he would do. Okay, so... um. But we did learn that "miak" is a word. Um, talk to me about your show uh, because now that you're back, uh, apparently, yeah, Lo- Brian Logan, you guys, you you booed him out, and you, well, you keep that Jason was, that was
8: for the better of everyone.
3: Okay, is that what that was about? <laughs> He's awesome. I love having him on. What uh, What's on your show today? Oh man,
8: not only are we discussing the postseason for BoA basketball, but We're already looking at how the Cougars are posturing for next year's run at March Madness. Mm -hmm. And we ask this question, are BYU's March Madness hopes better or worse with Gonzaga in the same conference? Yeah. And you may think, well, why would they be out of the conference? Because Gonzaga, according to the San Diego Union-Tribune, has been in conversations with the Mountain West Conference about making a move with all their sports, to
3: the MWC. Uh, Now, I heard in some of those rumors that they may want to take a team or two with them.
8: Of course they would want to take a team or two with them, notably BYU. But (laughs) are BYU's chances better remaining in the West Coast Conference Mm. and winning the league, securing the auto bid, or going with Gonzaga to a better conference yeah. And a conference with a higher RPI will be because Gonzaga would be in it, but tougher teams. So, which conference would then be the fastest and most reliable route back to the NCAA tournament?
3: Yeah, good. See,
8: again, another great
3: question by interesting, brilliant sportsmetologist. Well, you know, thanks sportsmetologist. Di- I like that. Thanks yeah. to
8: the San Diego Union Tribune for uh, releasing a follow up conversation, an article to that yesterday, and they quoted BYU Sports Nation in it. So we kind of feel obligated to discuss how awesome we are.
2: <laughs>
3: Big League! <laughs> you guys are Big League. Or Bigly, as President Trump says it. Okay, cool. So you'll be talking about that. Anything else? Yeah, we've, we'll,
6: obviously we're going to talk a little football, some position changes for a couple of players, yes. uh, new look formation maybe on offense. What? Huh? Uh, and then also, it is the home opener for BYU baseball tonight. Uh, the, we will have the head coach of the Cougars, Mike Littlewood, on. Uh, we're going to ask where he would put... Both Spencer and I in his lineup. Where would he hit us if he was putting us in his lineup? Oh, I think it's obvious. I'm thinking the three and four hitters, but we'll see what he says.
3: I, I was thinking the 34. <laughs> 34 uh, th- and 35. There is no
6: 34 th- uh, hitter, well, I, but I think that's what you're going for. I and think that's what rightful. I'm going
3: for—well, there is the is—look the, at it this way. There's the entire team, which is what, <laughs> 19, 18 people? probably. And then, yeah. there's, then there's the entire coaching staff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, right, then there's the health services people. Then there's the former players who then don't play anymore. Former players. Yeah. And yeah, and then there's those that donate money.
6: <laughs> yes, there's the donors. And then, the, then maybe yeah.
3: we may get on the lineup. Well, listen, Matt, the, the, listen. There's the donors, family, extended family, and grandparents, <laughs> then you then Joe Linardi, <laughs> then us. Listen, Matt, that was Sorry. the
8: number one overall pick in the Clinton City baseball draft of over 200 players in <gasps> sixth grade. Okay? You wow. were. Okay?
3: You dominated. Yeah. That's, so, that, that, you boy. know,
8: keep that in consideration That's when right. you're answering all these
3: questions. That's true. I'm going to write that down. Clinton number one <laughs> That needs to be on your uh, your 200. Twitter bio, by the way. <laughs>
6: Number one pick in the 1996.
3: Please put that on your Twitter bio or 1994 Clinton City baseball draft. That's I am doing that. Do it. Do it. Well, guys, have a great show. That's uh, boy. That's I don't know how you top that. I I have been put in my place. Two hundredth pick. He was the number one pick out of two hundred in Clinton, which is a tiny uh, uh, village in Utah. We're calling it a village. Yes, we are. Hey, uh, here we go. Our hero story of the day. Listen to this. A pro football playing family and their friends are being hailed as heroes for helping save the life of a Colorado grandfather who fell around 20 feet in a startling scene that unfolded over the weekend during a hike with his grandson, Christian McCaffrey, a Carolina Panthers running back, says he was hiking Saturday in Castle Rock when he turned a corner and saw Dan Smoker Sr. plunge onto a rock. He said, I felt like he was in the air for 10 seconds, McCaffrey told this team's website. I had never seen anything quite like it in my life as far as the trauma of it all. Anyway, McCaffrey and others... Uh, his brother, Max, uh, San Francisco 49ers wide receiver, and Dylan, a Michigan University quarterback, rushed to his help, got uh, the the services, uh, 911, to come help him, and they helped the man through, his, uh, through that difficult time. The man had a, bra- a fractured neck, a fractured back, nine ribs were broken, and bleeding internally. So thank heavens for heroes, folks. Remember, you can always be there for someone else. You just got to be present and pay attention. That's it for us. BYU Sports Nation is up next.